you think this is the biggest show of the year or you think the WWDC one is the biggest show of the year? I think WWDC. I wouldn't say it's by a large margin, but I think it's the dub-dub episode. Um, which, P.S., I've noticed myself just in the last uh, 6 to 12 months embracing dub-dub, which I always used to hate so much, like the the, the phrasing D-U-B, D-U-B. I always used to hate it so much, but, yeah, I've, I've been broken. Yeah, they, they totally wore me down. I, I, too, I, too, I'm not usually a trendy word shortener, but that one, it just, it's just so clumsy to say WWDC that that one just wore me down although curiously dub 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 as in dub dub dot dub dot caselist.com i can't do it it drives me insane like i I'm, I'm 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 like hunching up as i'm saying it because it just drives me so crazy no that 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 is too far that one i was willing to yep. just wait until we drop that prefix for most domain names we're going to talk about the september 2016 apple event we are going to try to do this in chronological order we will probably miss a little bit, but here we go. We started out with Tim Cook and James Corden doing Carpool Karaoke, which as soon as I saw this, I thought, oh, God. Oh, no. This is not going to be good. Pleasantly surprised. I thought it was great. I thought Tim did a great job. A little awkward, but I'd have been 10 times more awkward if I were there. Could sing enough. I mean, he sang more than Britney Spears did, so that's a thing. Uh, I thought it was really well done and a really good intro. I thought it was the best interaction Tim has ever shown with a celebrity as part of an event. <laughs> well, that's a that's not a, a very high bar, but yes, I agree. Why were you afraid? Uh, why were you? Why did you think this was going to be cringeworthy? Just because, like Tim and Bono, for example, it's just not usually good. But it was great. But that's not the same context. That's the context of him on stage having to like stand out next to like his, you know. Uh, you know, tame racing driver, tame celebrity. Look at what I have brought you. It is a Bono, and I have brought you him. And now I stand next to him. Like, if the context is weird where you have to just be like, isn't this great, guys? Huh? Huh? Look, celebrity. Whereas, you know, we've all seen the, the carpool karaoke, I'm assuming. And that is a much more nope. relaxed environment. Yep, Marco. Jesus Christ. Marco, <laughs> you, you, don't, seen, you don't have to be proud you've of You've never it, seen carpool? Never. Not once. I mean, technically, I guess now I have seen it once. Right, but before oh. that, when this came on, you didn't. When you saw the back of that SUV, you didn't immediately know what it was. When you saw that no. guy sitting behind the wheel, nothing. I, I asked Tiff who the guy was, and oh, then when geez. the second guy got in the car, I had to ask who he was too. I feel like we need to have some kind of pop culture intervention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not. I am not one to really be throwing stones in the glass house in which I live. But holy God, Marco, you need to like. Get a grip. I don't mean, mean you have to have seen it. I mean, you need to know what that guy's name is, just to know that this is a thing. And like, oh, I recognize it. It's that thing that I never watch, but not even that. Anyway. <laughs> Um, that environment is, is much more relaxed, and I knew he would do fine. I should rewatch it because some people were trying to find issue with him. But I, I was surprised that he would agree to it because the people who usually are on that are people who want to sort of uh, unabashedly uh, sing in a car, but like in front of everybody. It's like, you know, dance like nobody's watching. Well, carpool karaoke is sing like you're in your own car and no one can see you, but everybody can see you because you're on the Internet. I'm assuming Tim Cook must be a fan of that and said, you know what, I'd like to do that. Because if someone who didn't want to sing in front of the world was forced to do it, they would look way worse. They would, I mean, I, I know I would never want to do this. And I, I can't imagine, like, faking it to the degree that he did. So I think he really wanted to be on this thing because he likes to sing and he got to sing. All right. So I thought the intro was great. Uh, I also really liked, when was it that they did the... Um, Bill Hader introduction when he was like doing he was directing the big uh, 
the big show intro. Do you know what I'm thinking of? Was that dub dub? Yeah, yeah, but this was better because this this had this was sort of of the moment in a way that didn't look like they were trying to cash in because I think it was just at the right point for carpool karaoke where it's not at the peak but it's not at the beginning. It's like but it's not old hat and. I really, he looked like he had genuine enthusiasm for being on this thing that he had seen other people on. And it was like, relax. And I know what you're talking about. The Bill Hader thing was funny, but that was like more higher budget, more complicated. Like this, I feel like it was just simple. It's like a person in a car. It's funny to see Tim Cook in that context. It was short. I really liked it. One of the, one of the best intros to an Apple event ever. Although it's kind of a shame that it was totally unrelated to anything that was presented really, but that's fine. The joke that James Corden made about how he had heard that the new iPhone, or perhaps it was the new version of iOS, was the most secure ever. And Tim, do you know where I read that? On a leak posted no, to the internet. That, that, that was my least favorite part because oh, I it, it, was showed, funny. it shows that the host doesn't understand the nuance of what he's talking about. Because is this going to be the most secure iPhone? We know what he means when he says that. I'm assuming that's a plant from like Apple or something like that to say, hey, ask us about the security. Because... It's going to be, I'm assuming, more secure than the past ones, learning from everything they've learned from all the previous iPhones and all the different FBI court orders and everything, right? But that has nothing to do with whether rumors of how the phone is being designed leak onto the internet. That has nothing to do with the security of the phone. They're totally unrelated, except for the fact that the word security can be applied to both of them. Why you got to be such a buzzkill? I'm just saying, like, it's it's a typical sort of, <laughs> you want to make, make a tech joke, but you're not a tech person, so you think you you think you really nailed it, haha, isn't that funny? And I feel like Tim Cook was like, do you see the irony in that? Tim Cook should have been like, yes, I see the irony in that. Actually, I don't, because it doesn't make any sense, but I will humor you, because I know if I have to explain it to you, that won't work. But I'm explaining it to you, because Tim Cook wouldn't. That joke didn't make any sense, and therefore was less funny than it should have been. Uh, do you need to turn your brain off and turn on the emotion ship from time to time? I thought it was funny. Nothing to do with emotion ship. Good humor it makes sense. The best humor makes sense, and it's funny. That's why it's funny, because it makes sense. I love this show. I do, too, but I'm going to kill one or both of you by the end of it. <laughs> uh, anything else about Tim and James? They had a big opening thing about Apple Music, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. It um, was just like, hey, Apple Music exists. It's good. You guys should try it. Here's your semi-annual reminder to please subscribe to Apple Music. Here's how awesome it is. Yeah, like 17 million subscribers or something. I'm, I'm watching the thing run in sure. the background now. I'm presuming we'll comment on it almost in real time. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they're, they're pushing it. Like, this is what they usually do at the beginning of a thing. They, they have some feel-good stuff, some funny stuff, and some, hey, let me remind you about whatever it is that I'm pushing that we think we've done recently that's good or doing well or whatever. So Apple Music is getting the push here. Um, how do you guys feel about Apple Music right now? I haven't used it since the uh, demo period ran out. Um, at that time, I thought it was okay, but I'm a pretty loyal Spotify user. And the only thing that Apple Music brought to me that as a Spotify user that I didn't already have was being able to play things via Siri, which I did really, really like. Um, other than that, I haven't really looked back since, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a subscriber the whole time. In fact, we even have the family plan. But it's kind of like when when I get a Netflix disc back in the day, and back when that was a thing, and you you let the disc sit there for like three months and start realizing how much you've effectively <laughs> paid for that disc. That's kind of how yeah. I am about Apple Music. Like we have the membership, and I do occasionally play something on it. But if I actually work out, like you know, how much I've paid for each one of those tracks that I've played off of it, it's uh, I probably shouldn't be using it. I I think I've I've determined that I'm just not. Uh, really a stream music customer because most of what I listen to is either podcast or fish, neither of which are on there. 
I think I kind of I kind of split the difference between you guys. I, I subscribed during the trial period. I thought I would have no interest in it whatsoever. I was surprised that I actually discovered new music with it. Not that they're, you know, for you and suggestions things are all that great. But that was the point where I'm, hey, I'm trying a free trial. I'm going to, you know, put some time into going through it. And I did find some music that I like. What I did when I found that music is that I bought it because I didn't know I was going to continue the Apple Music trial. So I just purchased all the songs that I found that I liked, which is nice. And then I let the thing lapse because I'm like, yeah, doesn't I don't use it. I'm kind of like Marco. I don't I'm, I'm not a, a streaming music kind of person. And it was fairly expensive or something that I was just going to let run in the background. So I didn't. Now I find myself kind of missing the fact that I don't have access to all the music that Apple Music makes available. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'd like to hear some new music. And I can't because I don't have Apple Music. But anyway, I'm, I'm probably just not a, a streaming music subscriber. My experience out in the world with people who are streaming music subscribers is I still see Spotify having a pretty good hold on things. So I don't think Apple Music has bumped them out. But Apple Music seems like the kind of like Apple Maps, where even if it's not better than Google Maps, just by being the default and being constantly promoted in this way, I think they're going to start to erode some of the the competitors just for the sheer force of constant promotion and defaultedness and Siri integration uh, from the Apple, essentially. Next thing I believe was iWork, um, which they said they were doing some updates, but most importantly and interestingly, uh, selfishly anyway, was real-time collaborative editing, which I believe they said was going to be both native and web-based. Is that true? Actually, that came after Nintendo, but I'll let, I'll let it slide. Oh, <laughs> yes, they gosh. did, they well, did uh, say there was a web. They said you can do this on your Mac, on your iOS devices, and even on the web. But they didn't show any of those things, but yeah. Is the web the same thing they launched two years ago, or is it like a new version based on whatever's underpinning <sighs> this stuff? I don't know. Like, it's, it's hard. To, like, what they were demoing in some ways is a total Apple move where it's like Google that, you know, well, Google the most uh, well-known thing where a bunch of people can edit a document at the same time. That's just a bunch of colored cursors and text. But we're going to do a presentation with graphics and look how beautiful the presentation. You know, it's it's more complicated. It's more visually complicated to have multiple people doing graphics at the same time without having them like flash and clip over each other. Everything's beautifully composited and multiple people are collaborating on this graphic document or whatever. So that is more impressive uh, than just a bunch of cursors moving around a text field. Uh, but uh, almost everything about iWork has always been has looked nicer visually whether it's on the mac or even on the web it looks really nice but in the end what people care about is does it always work is the performance good like simple and reliable is better than super fancy and not so reliable and thus far all of apple's sort of collaborative editing i work on the web on all platforms all at the same time document syncing crap has been nice to look at but ranging from clunky to downright broken, downright broken being me fruitlessly trying to get my daughter to edit the same document using entirely Apple native apps on all the Apple's latest operating system and getting repeatedly locked out from inability to even save on any platform. That's the worst case. I don't know what to say about this because I haven't tried it yet, but I can tell you that my confidence is not high that this is going to take the world by storm. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good summary. Like, it it remains to be seen, basically. we none, Nobody has really had time to use this yet. Uh, the, the credibility level here is low. The expectations are low because of the, the mediocre and poor past performances in this department. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So uh, maybe we got the order wrong, as John alluded to, but uh, hell has frozen over-ish, and Nintendo and Apple are sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, 
pretty much the entire internet had the same reaction I did, which was, holy crap, is John Syracuse still breathing? <laughs> I did have it on. I did have it on in the background, but I don't see how this is such a big deal for most people because, like, Pokemon Go, I know it wasn't Nintendo developing it. It was Niantic or whatever, but it's Nintendo's property. And, like, that was the, the beachhead. You know, it's incredibly popular game based on Nintendo IP on your phone. Um, it's not the same as Mario coming to your phone, but the sort of the big event was, hey, Nintendo has finally, I mean, we knew this from months and months and months ago where they announced we we're going to make games for mobile phones, right? And the announcement was not we're going to stop making games for our own platforms. In fact, we're going to continue making platforms. We're going to make a new platform. We won't tell you anything about, but it's a codename NX and blah, blah, blah. Like they're still doing that, but they're also doing stuff for phones and we knew that for a long time and pokemon go shows they're doing stuff for phones and they're successful at it and this is just a continuation of that strategy now i think the impressive thing is that nintendo saw fit to or i don't know i don't know who's pulling and who's pushing here is nintendo coming to apple and saying we'd like to do this and let's work out a deal because it's good publicity for nintendo to be in this presentation right to and it's good for apple to say which phone platform is Mario on first? And I assume exclusively for some period of time anyway, our platform. Like, so I would imagine that it was Apple coming to Nintendo, but Nintendo was probably receptive to the idea that we're already entering this phone thing. Pokemon Go is a big hit that we sort of outsource to have some other developer do. If we're going to bring our crown jewels, we want to have, you know, have the best possible experience. Come with the, the highest end phone vendor, the most successful phone vendor, the one with the best reputation. And honestly, there's a better fit between Apple and Nintendo in terms of their philosophy and sort of like kid friendliness and how Apple patrols the app store and tries to keep it, you know, nice. And like, that's, it reminds me a lot of the Nintendo seal of quality, right? So I think there's a good meeting of the minds between these two companies here, but then to have Miyamoto come out as if it's like an E3 presentation, Nintendo doesn't even do E3 presentations anymore because they always do this Nintendo direct stuff to come out on stage himself that's that's a pretty big deal now i feel bad because he didn't do particularly well he always insists on saying something english before pulling in the translator this is not a new thing he does this very frequently but he seemed nervous or badly rehearsed or both um and he kind of stumbled through his presentation uh but in the end i don't i don't think it's that a big deal it's not a it's not a shock we're not shocked that this happened it's just a straight line from everything that has come before um the games that they showed are not particularly revolutionary it's a runner game with mario and some other things that are already known to be well suited uh if anything pokemon go was a more more interesting and daring uh game than what uh than the the stuff they showed today because i mean not you know there's what was that game before uh pokemon go from the company that made it that was the same idea and then uh, brought to a a important property but it is more of a risk to say we're going to take this very important property pokemon and try it on a gameplay style that is very phone dependent that was not wildly successful ingress is what i called it was not wildly successful uh on this previous game but maybe the combination will be good and it was and these mario games are even more conservative than that you know tried and true gameplay styles with the crown jewels intellectual property from nintendo i'm sure they'll do well um i'm not sure they'll do as well as pokemon go because that was kind of like a craze uh and as we talked about uh before a great time for it because it's the summer and people are outdoors and it became a big news story or whatever um but otherwise, I'm I'm happy to see uh, Nintendo 
continuing to plot along in its strategy. I'm happy to see perhaps, I'm assuming they're developing these things in-house, perhaps they could get more of the money from this that will help them fund the whole rest <laughs> of their company and uh, make sure the NX isn't a piece of crap, even if it uses cartridges. That's it? I, I, I'm shocked. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you guys think about it? Like, Are you looking forward to buying this game, or do you just not care? I mean, I'll, I'll probably buy it. Um, they They had made some sort of reference to... I forget how they phrased it, but you'll have to pay for it. And then they kind of implied that there wouldn't really be any IAP in our purchases. I forget exactly what was said. But then I thought Underscore had noticed that actually there will be IAP. I imagine there has to be. And by the way, last time we talked about Pokemon Go, I said that my family was playing it, but I wasn't. And so far, they were all playing it for free. That has passed. My wife has spent God knows how much money on this game. They, like they, Whatever monetization <laughs> strategy they have or whatever scarce resource is required either her play style or the game itself leads to you eventually running out of some resource that you want and you don't want to wait or get it by grinding so she just buys it i think she spent like 40 bucks in this game probably more i try not to even look anymore so i mean in all fairness like if you had three people in your house playing a playing a single nintendo game how much would you spend if it was any other nintendo product you spend you spend sixty bucks, then uh, play it for like hundreds of hours, like a Zelda game. Like that's the the old. Yeah, but then you'd also have like you know the in your hand you'd be burning through like this fifty dollar controller and the forty dollar nunchuck and all this other garbage you have to plug into it. I mean, Nintendo doesn't sell much for less than forty bucks. I know, but but you, you buy you buy that you buy that stuff already. Like the whole idea with the old console thing was you buy the console for five hundred bucks with all the accessories, then you buy a series of sixty dollar games. Each one gives you what you hope is sixty dollars worth of enjoyment. Some games last longer, some games are shorter, but it's like you pay 60 bucks and you get the whole thing. Um, I, I play Destiny, which is like 60 bucks plus 20 or 30 bucks a year for the expansions, plus the monthly fee for uh, PlayStation Network. But that, that still works out money-wise. Now, Pokemon Go, the problem is it's basically limitless. Like, you can't spend... There's a limit to how much you can spend on Destiny per year, minus the silver stuff. But even that, I feel like even if you've got a limit of money to spend, there's not that much to buy in the game and everything you can buy in the game is cosmetic. And so if you buy every single expansion and you pay for PSN and you buy your PlayStation, there's a limit. Whereas with Pokemon Go, you could spend your entire life savings buying Pokeballs and using them. Like it's just, it seems like it's an unlimited potential pit of money. And so I don't know that those games bother me a little bit more because in order to continue to have fun with the game, you have to spend money and you don't get new content for the money. You just get the ability to continue playing the content you have. Hoping the Mario games aren't like that. But that's that's a winning monetization strategy that people seem comfortable with, which is if you want to grind, grind. If you don't want to grind, pass money and we'll shortcut that for you. Pokemon Go doesn't seem abusive in that way. And I'm assuming the Mario games won't be either. But um, I certainly prefer the, the other proposition, even the proposition of Destiny, which I think is striking a reasonable balance of, you know, extracting money from me steadily over the course of years but also giving me hundreds and hundreds of hours of entertainment yeah so a couple other quick thoughts on nintendo uh first of all uh super mario go already has an entry that you can search for and find in the app store i'm sorry super, super mario run i just called it super mario go um it has a, a a entry a page if you will on the app store where where you would typically see buy or get it says notify which i've never seen for an app before which i thought was kind of neat this is the first so 
that's different. And it would be super cool if developers could leverage that, like not blessed developers, but regular schmoes like us could use this to leverage the app store to kind of generate a little bit of buzz about forthcoming apps um, if you so chose. But still, that's kind of neat. And uh, any thoughts on that before I get to my other thought? Uh, so the iBook store, I used this for when I was selling my iBooks, has a pre-order system where you can put the book up and people can't buy it, but they can pre-order, which is even better. Instead of just notifying people when it's available, they can give you the money right up front. And I, I made a, a lot on the pre-orders because the people who were anxiously awaiting the book, most of them pre-ordered. So I think this, uh, this that type of thing should come to the, the iOS store. Yeah. And then the other interesting thing, uh, which I think is worth briefly mentioning, is that they uh, specifically said on stage that there will be a sticker pack for iMessage that is themed around Super Mario Run, which uh, is what I think they've been pushing uh, it relatively heavily since iOS 10 was announced at WWDC. Um, so I'm curious to see if anything comes of that, but I thought that tie-in was kind of neat. Yeah, sticker packs are the new ringtones. It's an opportunity for lots of tie-ins with big companies and big promotions. I wonder if there will be more strict policing of copyright infringement. I know Apple in the past, is, specifically with Nintendo, has actually been pretty good about tracking down, like, at the very least, NES emulators and Mario things. They still snuck through. But now that Nintendo itself is in the store, I, is Nintendo more motivated to have its team of lawyers wandering the store and stomping on anything that uses Mario in the name, uses its artwork, the million people trying to sell sticker paps, packs that have pictures of, uh, you know, Goombas and, and uh, mushrooms and all the other stuff. Like, it, you're one Google search away from trying to sell a 99 cent sticker pack full of someone else's IP. And now that Nintendo is actually trying to sell its own version of that stuff, I imagine it will be harder to sneak that stuff through. If not, that's going to be weird when you do a search for Nintendo sticker pack, you find a million sticker packs and buried somewhere in there because Apple search is awful as the real Nintendo one. That will be super weird. We'll see. Um, oh, and in real time follow up from the chat room, people are saying that, uh, I think they're talking about Mario run, uh, paid up front, no in app purchase. That's what, uh, that's what I'm reading in the chat room. Who knows if it's true. That's not what it says on the iTunes store page. Well, it app says here, uh, user RT 98 underscore says, uh, basically that the, the, there's going to be like a trial level first for free. And then you pay one fixed in app purchase price to unlock the rest of the game. Right, so it's not like you, know, uh, you, you uh, have to keep uh, buying more energy or coins or whatever to be able to play. We are sponsored this week by Hover. Go to hover.com slash ATP this week and use code JETBLACK for 10% off your first purchase. Now, Hover, when you have a great idea for your blog, or your store, or a new startup, you need to give it a great domain name. Finding the perfect domain name, registering it, and managing it is ridiculously easy with Hover. I have the vast majority of my of my domain names there now. Casey, you have the vast majority of yours there, right? John, you, I mean, we all use Hover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hover is, you know, among many, many other reasons, there's a bunch of different domain names out there now. You can get, like, dot .anything. All these different domain extensions that came out over the last few years. There's, like, you know, dot .diamonds, dot .plumbing, dot .coffee. There's so many domain extensions out there. And with Hover, you can search all of them at once. And, of course, you know, they have all the classics as well if you want, you know, a .com or a .net or anything like that. And once you have your domain, they have a feature called Hover Connect. lets you set up your domain automatically with so many popular website builders and hosts in just a few clicks. You don't have to go through digging, digging through like help articles on the host, figuring out like you know what DNS do I put in here to make this work. No, Hover Connect does it easily for you. It is so great and so easy to use. So once you find that name, you can just hook up your website in seconds, and you're done. 
So find the best domain name for your idea at Hover.com. Use the promo code JETBLACK at checkout to save 10% off your first purchase. Once again, go to Hover.com, promo code JETBLACK for 10% off your first purchase. Thank you very much to Hover for sponsoring our show. So next thing in the uh, presentation was the Apple Watch. And we can start with the name, I suppose. It is now called the Apple Watch Series 2. I think you mean Season 2. i see what you did there uh i dig it though i I really do like this name Uh, i i don't know what alternatives were kicked around i'm not sure what i would have recommended but i really like the idea of series two uh i i don't know why i prefer it over just apple watch two um but i think i do prefer it maybe because it's more about fashion than the iphone arguably is but two thumbs up for the name in my opinion what do you guys think about the name alone Oh, I think it's great. I mean, the Apple, the, the first Apple Watch, which now has no name uh, because it's not the Series 1, that's different, which we'll get to. <laughs> the, the first <laughs> Apple Watch, Apple Watch Series 0, um, that, that had a, a kind of an, an odd naming structure where like, you had the Apple Watch Sport, which is the one that everybody actually bought. You had just the Apple Watch with no modifiers, which is the steel one, which is like the middle one. And you had the Apple Watch Edition, which nobody bought. Uh, and so you have, it, it was this weird combo uh, and nobody really knew what to call the, the steel one, and everyone would call the sport one the Apple Watch, even though technically that was the name of a different model. And So now they've kind of unified the naming. Now it seems from their website that the entire Series 2 is just called Apple Watch Series 2. There is no more sport or steel distinction. Oh, is that right? That's what, from oh. what I can find, I could be wrong, um, but it sure looks like they're dropping like the, the sport distinction, and now, it's just, now they're just Apple Watch. And you can get the Apple Watch in steel, or all these wonderful aluminum colors, or the Apple Watch Edition still has its own name, and the Apple Watch Hermes has its own name. Uh, I apologize to the great nation of France for how I'm pronouncing Hermes. <laughs> it's probably wrong, uh, and I apologize. Yeah, although the, the Apple Watch and Nike Plus, which is another weird, like another company's name, gets to define a single product. Yeah, so th- they're basically moving into these, like you know, these these major brand affiliations now with like fashion and sport brands and you know whatever i I don't know anything about that world so that probably makes sense i I can't say but overall uh naming wise uh this is a very i I think it's a decent update the only weird thing about it though is as mentioned earlier so there's a series two that's fine there's also a series one now this is almost the original apple watch but with a really major difference (laughs) and that is with the new apple watch they have upgraded the cpu to and to a pretty substantial upgrade now it's a dual core one which is allegedly a lot faster uh but they said up to 50 percent, so they're probably clocked lower who knows whatever it is uh it's a dual core model uh it's a different cpu that is that is probably a lot faster in practice and they're in in what i commend as a great move for everybody owners developers uh they have they're basically retroactively installing this new cpu in the old model as they continue to sell the old model which is now called apple watch series one so you can get series one which is just the old apple watch with a faster cpu which is a big difference then you can get series two which is the newest model which is that same cpu but with uh with a higher grade of waterproofing with gps and a brighter screen is that it I mean, it's totally different, the inside. Like, if you looked at the speaker diagram, the, the speaker is different. All the insides are different. For all I know, the battery's a different size. It just looks the same on the outside for the most part. But inside, it's basically all new. Every part of it is new. It seems the screen is new. The the system on the chip thingy, whatever, is new. The battery's probably new. The speaker is new. The thing between the dial, the ceiling, like, 
it just looks the same on the outside, but it's actually thicker. Is it actually? Yeah, it's one millimeter it thicker. It went from like eleven to eleven point something to twelve point whatever. Oh, that's kind of a Which, shame. Honestly, and honestly, like you know, for a watch going from eleven to twelve is noticeable. Like that is a noticeable thickness increase. It's unfortunate. It's still not going to be like it's not going to be like chunky or anything. You know, if, if basically if whatever you thought about its thickness before, you will still think that. But it is kind of unfortunate that I went in that direction on one of the products that could have used thinning out. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice though that they don't sell the Apple Watch anymore. Kind of first of all, it kind yes. of makes it like like Macintosh. The first Macintosh they introduced was not called the Mac 128K because why would they need a distinction? It was just Macintosh, period. Uh, The first iPhone was just iPhone, period. And the first Apple Watch was just Apple Watch, even though it had all those suffixes like edition and sport and so on and so forth, but there was no number or anything. So now that product that we all own is gone. Like you can't buy it anymore. And imagine if that happened with phones. Like imagine if if, when they took the 6S and 6S Plus and moved them down, they said, and by the way, put the A10 in all of those too. That would be like amazing. Like this is... It's kind of like the the Series 1 is like the apology watch. Like, we're sorry that the first Apple Watch (laughs) CPU was so darn slow. But you see, it was supposed to ship way earlier, but the software wasn't ready. So we had to hold it back for many months. And yada, yada, yada. Also, we didn't have uh, WatchOS 3 ready, and we didn't quite know what we were doing. And so just forget about that watch. Second attempt at the same watch, twice as fast inside, WatchOS 3 just forget about that old one. And the old one, I think, will have sentimental values. Like, it's the first watch. Honestly, I don't think it was a bad product. I think... It was good hardware-wise. The software they hadn't figured out yet. I forgive all of it. Series 1 is... Like, the Series 1 makes me more excited than the other ones. Because basically, anyone making a watchOS app, now it doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to support the the old watches. Like, I guess they do for whoever bought those things. But, like, the window has moved up so rapidly. All of a sudden, everybody who buys one, even if they buy the cheap one this holiday season, will be way faster. And watchOS 3 will be way faster, too. So, uh, even though, I mean... This is not an entirely redesigned watch. I don't think anyone expected it to be, but it's exactly what we thought it would be. A bigger battery used to power GPS that can be on all the time, great for workouts and stuff like that. Um, better waterproofing, which is hard for me to believe considering how waterproof the, the other one was. Um, and keeping the old watch around, but not leaving it around and being crappy. So I give us thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice that they didn't just keep selling the same one without changing it, just because like, the 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 first apple watch is really really slow and it's good now to be able to go to be able to tell somebody to go just go into a store and just buy an apple watch you don't have to tell them like oh don't get this model that's the old one that sucks like because you have to do that a lot of times with ipads and iphones but now you don't have to do that anymore and well all the macs uh you don't have to do that anymore now with the watch uh which is great because like there's just now they're just all good and like i i've noticed um i i've been i've taken note recently Whenever I've been out in the world, like I, you know, we mentioned, I spent a week in in this beach town uh, recently, and I looked around constantly, kind of like taking inventory of watches because now I'm a watch nerd, and this, this is just what I do everywhere I go. Uh, and I've I've kind of noticed like w- roughly what percentage I see of different smartwatches. How many Apple watches do I see? How many dumb watches do I see? How many you know different Android things that look like Android Wear versus Pebble versus the uh, Fitbit and Garmin watches. The single model I do see the most is the Apple Watch, but I would not say the Apple Watch has more than 50% of the share of smartwatches I see. It's kind of like the iPhone in that way. It's like if you measure like the like phone model versus other individual phone models, the iPhone is usually the best-selling single phone in the world or US or whatever. Um, but like the, the market share of iPhones versus all other Android phones combined, the, the iPhone is not more than 50%. You know, it's usually a little bit, usually a lot less. 
Um, that's kind of how I see in the watch world now, in the smartwatch world, where when I just out and about anecdotally, I see a ton of people wearing smartwatches. I, I was totally wrong. I thought this category was going to be a little bit weird and people were going to be very slow to adopt it. Nope. People love smartwatches. However, the ones I see the most, you know, it, you know, Apple is the one is the single model I see the most, but most people are wearing either an Android one that I that I have a hard time recognizing, like which one in particular, or I do see a lot of the Fitbit ones, either the either the, the skinny like band like cuff band things, or the the, the square one with the, with the diagonal bezel on it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I see a lot of Fitbits too, and I think that I mean I don't know what the numbers are like. I don't know how Fitbit is doing, but in my experience, like when you say smartwatches, I was wondering if you were even counting Fitbit because. People aren't wearing that as a watch. They're wearing it essentially as a stay fit, stay healthy, lose weight, you know, remain active measurement thing because Fitbit, you know, even more so than the Pebble, Fitbit has the advantage of like it's totally focused on fitness. It's cheap. It's practically disposable. Battery lasts a really, really long time and it syncs with your phone. It just does the one thing they wanted to do, whereas the Apple Watch still seems like sledgehammer to kill an ant. If you just want to keep track of your steps, you're going to spend like hundreds of dollars for this fancy full-featured giant watch with a screen that has software or just buy a crappy little rubber Fitbit that if you lose it, you don't care about it and you have five of them. Well, so this is what I'm getting at, though. So it it, it certainly appears as though the market is really, you know, it's doing very well in the, like, basic fitness tracking and maybe notifications and, you know, maybe some smart stuff. But, like, it seems like these what people want most of the time from these is a fitness tracker. And because of that, and because all the other ones that I'm seeing that are kind of exploding recently, it does seem like there's a lot of downward price pressure here. So, you know, right now, like the 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 Apple Watch Series Two, the new like default Apple Watch, is now three sixty nine starting point starting price. Uh, before was that it was that was one that was three ninety nine before, right? So it was like a minor. I believe that's right. Minor drop. So to have to have the Apple Watch still be nearly four hundred dollars for the main one, when all the competition is offering these like. 150 or 200 dollar watches that are doing what most people actually want their smartwatch to do it turns out um that's putting that's going to put a lot of pressure on this market especially in the holiday season this year so to keep the series one around at 100 dollars less it's 269 to keep that around is really smart because they have to find some way to drop the price on these by a lot it isn't like they can't just like get near it the way they did with iPads because look what happened with low-end tablet market share. Like it, Apple just lost it all because it turns out you can make tablets really cheaply and most, most people need a cheap tablet, tablet for is videos and basic browsing and games and that's fine to you know get the Amazon six-pack. But like it is very important for Apple for the watch's future success to get that starting price as cheap as possible and to do it like this in a way that doesn't just sell the old one that, that actually makes it like a really good model because like look looking at these models if i were buying one today i'd probably get the series one also because i don't care about gps or water resistance so i'd probably get that one to, because it's like a, you know a little bit smaller and a hundred dollars cheaper let's put that money towards a better band for it like that's a great thing to have in the lineup so to have that be the entry price and to have that be the entry model is very very good but i but they are going to have to get that price down even further well, I think they're following the iPod playbook here where it's like really expensive, you know, Mac only in the beginning, whatever. Um, and the event, or, or like the iPhone thing, like diversifying the line of it. iPods diversified and went down market really far to the point where it was like a $49 stick of gum thing, right? I don't think the watch is ever going to go down that far. Um, but like the phone started as a singular product and diversified and kept the old models around and did stuff like that. And now that they're upgrading the old models, we'll get to that in the, in the phone thing. That's also a viable strategy, but I totally see it. Like, I mean, this is, this is the first design of the watch, right? 
wait for the second or third design, it should start to diversify such that they are selling something that is more or less a direct competitor for with the Fitbits at that point. Like Fitbit is pretty safe for now, hanging out with its little rubbery bands with the little turds inside of them with a tiny like LED display, <laughs> right? But Apple will come for them eventually. Like Apple will not leave that market. But for now, Apple is content to like you were saying that the one you saw the most is the Apple Watch, as in the stainless steel one. Oh uh, no, rather, no, 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 no. I I've oh, seen saying, you, I've seen a very small number of stainless steel ones ever in real life outside of WWDC. Um no, I, I would say <laughs> by far the ones I saw the most were the sport ones, by by a mile. But like Apple, the Apple Watch is still a bauble for people who shop in the Apple store. Like it is, it assumes you have money to burn on fancy gadgets and you're already buying expensive crap at the Apple store, buy some more expensive crap at the Apple store, right? <laughs> but that, but iPod started out that way too. Do you have $500 to spend on a deck of cards that some music doohickey? Eventually they were selling those things at like every price, every increment of $50 from $50 up to several hundred. And I think the watch can get there because as, as the, like, here's the thing, the, cpu power and gpu power required to do a decent watch is within shooting distance in a generation or two of being acceptable and that will just shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and unlike a phone or something you can make a watch you know if they work out this interface you can make the watch pretty slim and pretty small as long as it's still watch sized and still keep most of the functionality so i think in several generations they'll have no place to go but down market to start pressing these things down i don't you know 199 dollar low-end apple watch in a few years no problem 150 dollar one in four years no problem and then where where is the room for your stupid rubbery band as fitbit there's no room left for you so uh, i hope they execute on that strategy because i think it's a viable one but for now they seem mostly content to stay high-end although speaking of high-end it was interesting to see that you don't hear about the edition, the edition much anymore, but they still have a product called Edition, and it's not gold anymore. It's ceramic, which looks cool, but it sure as hell isn't seventeen grand anymore. Before we get to that, I wanted to just uh, point something out about the other Apple Watches. So, if you go to their interactive gallery, um, and we'll put a link in the show notes, the Edition isn't there, which I don't think it ever was. So that's not that terribly remarkable. But I was fiddling around on this while you guys were talking. And if you start with the cases, so you're picking effectively which watch to get, it it shows you all the different sizes and colors and whatnot. And as you go through them and pick one, so if you take, for example, the 42 millimeter silver aluminum case, and then there's links at the bottom, I'm looking on a desktop, you know, buy model, and then that's where you go to actually buy it. What's interesting is it's it starts at 269 for the 38 millimeter or 299 for the 42 millimeter. But then as you scroll down, it's which series do you want? 299 for the series one or 399 for the series two? And I find that interesting because there's no clear distinction. Like, are you buying an iPhone six or you buy six S actually, or are you buying an iPhone seven? Like the, the, in my recollection is that was always a fork in the road. Whereas here it's just, Hey, you want to get a 42 millimeter silver aluminum case, Apple watch. What flavor do you want? Do you want series one, series two, you know, 38, 42, pick your poison. And that, that to my recollection is different than the way it used to be. And smart because I think like you guys were saying, even though this is pitched as a fitness device, if you're not someone who's working out outside or working out in a swimming pool, why would you need the series two? Maybe you always work out on a treadmill or maybe you never, ever, ever take this thing into any sort of water. 
save yourself the money. Like Marco was saying, get the series one. It's, it's effectively just as good. If those things are not your priority. I just thought that was cool. Uh, you, you lose the screens not as bright either. There are other, actually, that's true. That's true. I'd forgotten about that. Um, but yeah, I just, I think this is a very smart way of handling it. Uh, now to come to the addition, I did not realize that the ceramic was the addition until Marco mentioned it earlier. I, I heard them talk about the ceramic. I didn't, I didn't know that that was taking the moniker addition, which apparently it is. And so I'm sorry, I interrupted, interrupted you before. Uh, I believe it was Marco that was talking. So tell me, Marco, as a watch nerd, why would I want a ceramic watch? Ceramic is really shiny. It looks really cool in person. Uh, it is an extremely hard material. It it is very um, scratch and dent resistant, uh, more so than almost anything else you could make a watch out of. Uh, it's kind of like sapphire in that way. You know, it's very a very very high on the hardness scale, uh, and you basically can you basically can't scratch it uh, or dent it easily. However, it does shatter. Uh, all this hardness, you know, t- typically oh, for for strength, um, you will, you you need to be able to take dents and flex. Uh, so typically, materials that are extremely hard also have the problem of shattering if they get enough uh, enough of an impact. So basically, it would not be wise to use it on the sport model, and that's probably one of the reasons why they haven't. Now, the other reason they haven't is because ceramic, for you know, in in the context of making watches out of it, ceramic is still fairly expensive and, and difficult to to manufacture it's just you know it, it's not that it can't be done it just it costs a lot to do it and it's it takes you know a little more specialized uh, machining and, and techniques and everything else so typically you don't find a lot of low-end watches made out of ceramic it's just it's not worth the uh the cost to do it this is exactly the kind of thing apple should be doing because apple is really good at exactly that kind of problem of mass producing things that most people can't make very well or at all or to good quality or volume standards because it takes incredible manufacturing expertise or incredible investment up front in high-end machines or something like that apple's very good at that so like in the previous apple watch they had the amazing uh dlc space black uh steel steel watch which they still sell thank god because it's amazing um the the, the the space black, which is what they call it, the space black watch, the coating on that also is extremely hard and pretty much impossible to scratch or show any damage for. Um, but because it is simply a coating on stainless steel, that will not have a shattering problem. So honestly, if you want a watch that's going to look really good, no matter how much damage it takes, get the space black watch with the link bracelet. Like that's, that's the one to get. Um, but if you, um, you know, if you're going to be doing high impact stuff get the aluminum one and just accept that you might you know chip it or scratch it uh, or or scratch the screen just because you know if you hit it hard enough because that's better than shattering your whole watch the ceramic one is is gonna be really nice for you know i I love that they have taken the addition which was completely out of reach for everybody who would buy an apple watch you know regular watches you, you know if you go buy a solid gold regular watch you're gonna spend over 10 grand no question like you know and probably over 20 so that was not an unreasonable price for a solid gold high-end watch. But that's not really what people want if they're buying a solid gold high-end watch. They want like a, a, a mechanical beauty piece that's going to last decades or more. They don't want a technology thing that's going to perform like an iPad 1 uh, you know, and, and be about as useful as an iPad 1 in five years. Uh, so anyway... This is a smarter way to go. Bring the price way down. The addition, the, the so the new edition, the ceramic is thirteen hundred bucks. 
that's a great price point for this kind because it's like that's roughly what the what the high end link bracelet ones cost plus like a couple hundred and that's roughly what the what the Hermes ones cost. So that's that's a great price point for this. The the one weird thing about it I think is that if you go to any place that sells ceramic watches and you can't miss the ceramic watch case because it is glowing and bright because ceramic it's usually very highly polished and they usually have link bracelets too and so you see like all these incredibly shiny white surfaces next to all the incredibly shiny black ceramic services and if i had to take a guess black ceramic watches are probably way more popular than white ceramic watches so i do wonder why now a day after labor day they've unveiled a white ceramic watch (laughs) and not a black one in addition or instead johnny ive has a lot of white pants (laughs) (laughs) maybe in california they can wear white all year round I don't know. So that, yeah, that that's a weird thing. Maybe down the maybe down the road we will get uh, we will get that uh, get the black one. Maybe at the spring you know refresh event or something. Who knows? Uh, but that that is kind of a weird omission to to offer white ceramic in the edition and not offer black ceramic because black ceramic is very popular. Uh, so we'll see about that. Uh, the other thing about the you know there's the entire Hermes collection and that's that's not entirely new because we've had that for a while. But that, too, I think is interesting. You know, if you look at, at an actual Hermes watch that's not an Apple watch, you know, they sell lots of watches themselves. There's actually one that I really like a lot called the Slim, oh, God, uh, the Slim D Hermes, De Hermes. I, I'm so sorry to the entire nation of France. Um, it's a beautiful watch. It's $7,000. And I don't think I want to spend $7,000 on that watch, even though it's beautiful. To get the Hermes name and an Hermes strap on a nice looking watch for a thousand bucks is actually a pretty good buy in the watch world you know and and that is that is expensive compared to the apple watch well what used to be called the apple watch sport but for people who want something nice and are willing to spend a little bit more that's not that different like that's that's within reach right it's still a lot of money but it's within reach so i think bringing the whole the whole price ceiling down from literally fifteen thousand dollars down to like fourteen hundred i think is really smart I didn't realize until you just said that, that the new ceramic edition is just barely more than the super fancy Darth Vader setup of uh, stainless steel with uh, space black and all that stuff. That's that's much. I mean, I obviously 13 or 1500 or whatever it is, is a lot less than 10 plus thousand. But I didn't realize it is just a hop, skip and a jump away from from the more expensive regular ones. That's that's impressive. And I dig it. I imagine Johnny Ive has a white ceramic link bracelet that he's wearing right now with his ceramic watch edition. <laughs> I'm kind of, su- of I'm, I'm also surprised they don't have black, and I'm also surprised there's no ceramic link bracelet if that's even a thing that they do because it would just go together so nicely. But got to leave room for the you know twice yearly updates, and I could totally see them making a black ceramic one of these. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised there weren't that many new straps. There was. I mean, maybe there were some new colors mixed in there, but the only one I really noticed was the Nike one with the holes in it, which I thought looked pretty cool. Like that whole watch, the Nike. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Oh, oh God. I can't, oh, I can't no. let that go. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> you a, thought that the, looked good? I mean, I wouldn't wear it on my wrist, but doesn't it look <laughs> cool as like as a sculpture, as like a <laughs> no. product shot? It, it, look, it looks as cool as the, as the, the iPhone 5C uh, hole cases. Remember those? No, it's it's cool. It's cooler than that. I actually didn't <laughs> think those were bad. 
this is i think it's the colors that drive me so crazy like the look of it in and of itself like if it was just black let's say or just white i don't think the the whole cut out the, the cross drill look is that bad but these god-awful neon colors oh no thank oh, it's you it's nike branded it's branded within an inch of its life like the whole you look at that you know that's <laughs> nike branded like the whole thing it's just the colors match on the screen and on the thing and the whole nike with the the, the font and everything like that is a that is a nike sport like look at the stuff that they sell that that is exactly on brand for them and i even give them credit for saying you know what we have holes in it and it's not just like we had to come up with some way to add neon it's vaguely functional like if it's going to be a sport watch this one will certainly breathe more than one that doesn't have holes because the holes are pretty darn big so you know if you if if you're already buying neon nike running shoes and and like headbands and like all the other outfits and just spandex or whatever like this fits right in with that aesthetic you're not gonna, you know, wear it to dinner at night because it's just a glowing green black thing with this weird slanty font on it. But uh, I, I think it is exactly on brand. I mean, you have a million different kinds of watch. Like, I think it looks less ridiculous than that double cuff thing, <laughs> that Hermes thing with the the. To, I, I don't, I don't understand those. Like the one that wraps around twice. Yeah, fine. I know what you're yeah, talking the about. The one it, that has weird. two parallel straps, like. All right, are we, do we have some sort of, is this like some sort of disease where you're afraid that the watch is going to depart and you need to just keep adding more and more straps? Well, that you, and, you'd put a NATO on if that was the reason. No, but it, it, that's like, I'm, I'm looking at the picture of like the of the one with the two buckles. It's like, how many hands do you need to put this watch on? Like, is this only people with assistance to help them get dressed? It's like, like, I, that's I, like a wrist, a wrist corset. Yeah, it's gonna, oh my God. <laughs> eventually, people are going to be lacing them up. It's definitely a part of, even though I'm so into watches, that's definitely a part of fashion I do not understand at all. Goodness. All right. Um, so all in all, summarize the watch. I, I, I'm giving this two thumbs up. Uh, I think this looks great. A few people seemed perturbed that this didn't include a uh, cellular modem. Maybe if and when that time comes, which presumably it will, maybe I'll think, my goodness, I want this. It's amazing. But sitting here now, I don't think I really need or necessarily want a cellular modem on my watch. My watch is always within reach of my phone or within a wi-fi connection of my phone i don't I, i'm not disappointed by that i think adding gps is smart i think adding the battery to offset that new uh power hungry gps is smart I, I think this looks great and keeping the series one around while giving it that that shadow update like you guys were talking about is smart i, I am all on board with this i don't think i'm going to get a new one i would like the gps but it's not do or die for me i would like the better uh water protection but again not not do or die for me so i think i'm gonna wait but man if you're thinking about an apple watch now's the time this this is a great 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 lineup yeah i mean like the cellular modem that was never gonna happen this year i mean if you if you look at like if you look at the limitations of they have you know this this very you know compared to a phone this very very small enclosure here that has to sell for a very low price point and has to have very long battery life the the limitations of what they can cram in there, both space wise and for power and heat concerns, they can bear just just now, like a year and a half after they launched the original watch, they can now just barely get it performing well to just do like local stuff, like to just hit buttons and change screens. They can barely achieve that now. So the idea of throwing in a cellular modem and having having enough like free space and power and budget. To have all that in there, uh, I think it's it's just unrealistic. That was never going to happen this year. We're lucky we got GPS. Yeah, I agree. But all in all, you're pleased with it, Marco? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, I still don't really think it's for me, but if, if I if I decided to to go back to being an Apple Watch wearer every day, I would absolutely get one of the new Series Two models. Probably, probably the stainless steel like I have, like I had before, because um, that's that's like a good balance for me of like looks and uh, and budget and functionality. Uh, but yeah, a, a solid solid update. And I think we what remains to be seen is how much faster the CPU is in reality. Uh, that that I think I'm looking forward to people's reactions and reviews to see that in practice and to see if there's any other downsides like is the battery life you know substantially different or worse under certain usage profiles or whatever else uh, but it's probably going to be really good so I would say if, if you are an Apple Watch user and you wouldn't miss a few hundred dollars buy the new one <laughs> and uh, I we haven't mentioned and I don't want to talk about it now because I think we covered it relatively well in the uh, WWDC episode but watchOS 3 is great I think it's a little overblown right now how much more instant everything is but I think a lot of that is coming from me not having watchOS 3 built third-party apps but watchOS 3 is great and made my Apple Watch series zero feel a heck of a lot better and i really like the the changes they've done to the way uh, watch os3 works or the changes they've done between two and three so all good things on the watch but john uh, uh, why don't you wrap it up for us yeah as someone who has stopped wearing his apple watch i still have fun feelings about it i still look at it occasionally once in a while i wear it and mostly i stopped wearing it just because i'm not a watch person and this wasn't able to get me over the hump but all that said none of these new watches are making me want to buy them i'm still waiting to see like the next generation to get it slimmed down to to you know the, the actual big redesign but I, I think marco hit the nail on the head earlier when he said the, the most important aspect of this watch design from a, the perspective of a technical person is that it is now 100% completely safe to tell anyone just go into the store and buy an Apple Watch because none of them are stinkers. Um, with I mean, even if they had just done the hardware, that would be true. But the hardware plus watchOS 3, I feel confident that anybody who is vaguely interested in going there and whichever one you buy will be great. And be aware, like, you know, about the GPS, because I think that is if they had to pick one feature to add for that big battery, they pick the right one, because I know a lot of people who i mean my wife included who she she has this giant clunky garmin gps watch because if you're a runner and you want to keep track of your runs you want to show me exactly where i ran like my exact route like that's 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 an important feature and to have to have your big clunky phone with you especially if it's a plus is difficult to try to find like a belt to strap it to and then you're wearing your watch and so she ends up just wearing the garmin gps thing because she can bring one thing with her uh these are both good products series one and series two are both good products uh the, the fatter watch now that i know it's a millimeter fatter reminds me a little bit of my uh beloved ipad 3 but, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you That's know a good like point. i it, the, the ceramic everything about it like this this i think is the the right compromise between new features new technology and everything while we wait for the big redesigned apple watch series 3 or whatever they they change it to so i'm i'm not tempted to buy one but i am happy with the update the only thing I would say, though, is that with the exception of the GPS, which, as you mentioned, that's no small thing because, you know, as we've been, ta- as we've been talking about, like, the Apple Watch has really found its market in fitness tracking. Like, that's such a big part of it, of why people buy it and why people use it. So to add one big thing to help that market tremendously is totally worth it and totally the right call. But I will say, though, that other than GPS... They didn't really address any of the reasons why you wouldn't have wanted one before. So basically, like, if you were already into the Apple Watch, this is a great update. If you didn't buy one before for a particular reason, 
other than GPS, that reason probably still applies. One more thing on the watch before we leave. I, I left out the most important reason for my uh, for my life, my personal life. My wife, I assume, will be getting a new Apple Watch. She does not have an Apple Watch. She's thought about getting, she's seen mine. She knows what it's like. She's thought about getting it, but for a variety of reasons, it's just never gotten over the hump for that i mean uh, part of it is that she can't wear it in all places uh at work so she can wear a fitbit everywhere at work or most places in work but can't wear the apple watch so it's kind of a pain but like i said she does run she does use a big clunky garmin gps thing when she runs she does have a fitbit so she's got the garmin she's got the fitbit and she's got the iphone um the thing that's going to put her over the edge is pokemon go on the watch that's what's going to do it because she is still playing pokemon go and it's really difficult with the success plus like to just have that big phone out and the game makes you either have the phone out or have it in like it's supposed to have like the sleep mode where you turn it upside down and the screen goes off and it never quite works right it's a little bit buggy but to be able to do like I, now i know enough about the game when they're showing like oh you can incubate your eggs and see how much time you have left and blah blah, blah. like i know what all those things are and i know that she does it with her giant phone out if she could just do it with a watch this is i i almost guarantee that she's going to get an apple watch and she'll claim it's not because of pokemon go but it kind of is we are also sponsored this week by Tracker. Now, smart car, smartphone, smart home technology has made everything smart, but losing stuff still makes people feel really dumb. Now, people lose stuff all the time. Just misplacing things, you know, your your keys, your wallet, your briefcase, whatever else. Tracker, that's T-R-A-C-R. Tracker makes losing things a thing of the past. Tracker is a coin-sized device that locates misplaced keys, wallets, bags, computers, anything you can attach it to in seconds. Just pair Tracker to your smartphone. It's it's a little it's this like little button thing. It's like barely as big as a keychain. Um, you pair Tracker to your smartphone. You can attach it to anything and then find its precise location by tapping a button. It's that easy. So you lose your phone. Push the button on Tracker, and your phone will ring. It'll make an alert sound, even if it's on silent mode. Um, you can also do it in reverse. You can, if you if you have the device, but you don't know where the the tracker is, you can like go to the tracker app in your phone and say, "Hey, find this device," and then the tracker itself will uh, will beep. So it's really cool how you can you can find things both ways with this thing. It's great for any kind of misplaced, often misplaced things, and you can have more than one paired to your phone. Never lose anything again with Tracker. Listeners to this show get a special discount of 30% off your entire order. Now, here's the thing. The product name is Tracker, but to get it, you have to go to The Tracker. So, The, T-H-E, Tracker.com, T-R-A-C-K-E-R there, TheTracker.com, enter promo code ATP. The hardest thing you'll ever have to find again is their website. Once you find that at TheTracker.com, you will get trackers and you'll find everything else in your life much, much more easily. Go to thetracker.com right now. Enter promo code ATP for 30% off your entire order. Again, it's thetracker.com, promo code ATP. Thank you very much. We have not yet mentioned vastly improved diversity of the presentation crew on on, on this presentation. I, yeah, from the start, it was a lot, lot better. I was um, disappointed, and I, God, I can never get her name pronounced right, but Bozma St. John, I believe, is it? Sure uh, right. I, was disapp- uh, I was disappointed she wasn't there because she just killed it at WWDC. Um, but many, many, many more not white, not dude faces, which is a vast improvement I was really happy to see. Um, although Jason pointed out earlier, Jason Snell had pointed out earlier, that most of that diversity was either in the photography that was shown by the white dudes or 
or by third parties that were coming on stage. Some of it was Apple themselves, but a lot of it was the third parties, which is a bit of a bummer, but I'll take any improvement, um, any improvement at all. So that's, that's a good step. Yeah. Basically it's progress, but we're not done. Yep, uh, very well summarized. Yeah, and I think the new factor here is they're finding new ways to make progress. Like because they again, it's it's uh, Tim and Phil and what's his name on the watch. Sorry, I can't remember. There's a bunch of old white guys roughly the same age who are still in charge of all these major projects, right? So that isn't changing, and that's difficult to change on a dime. But you can change who's in the the product photos easily, and like it, it's amazing that it hadn't occurred to them to lean on that more heavily in the past because they have. They've always done a pretty good job on that. But they're like, you know what? If we can't do it in this other area, if we can't fire Phil and replace him, right, and we don't want to, we'll just lean really hard in the other area that we can control. Like, it's, it's, uh, they're finding more levers to pull to try to uh, make an effort in this area. And it's good that they're not sort of like deciding that they're done and just coasting. Yep. Uh, I was, I was pleased to see that. So, iPhone 7, they, well, Phil came on stage. This is Phil. I think at his best, Phil Schiller, just really happy, really enthusiastic. Um, And he said that he was going to go through 10 different points to describe the new iPhone 7. And I think we're just going to go through them one by one. The very first one, the refined was the word he used, design, which outside of colors basically meant move the antenna um, up uh, the antennas up to, up to the top and to the bottom, and otherwise it looks about the same to my eye. Yeah, I tweeted this was a hanging a lantern on it. It's the, the expression from like script writing where you have something that doesn't really make sense in the plot of your movie, and the way you handle it is by having one of the characters in the movie say, "But this doesn't make sense. That's, that shouldn't even be possible." And once they <laughs> say that, the audience accepts. Oh, because if, if no one says it, the audience is insulted. Like you expect them to believe this. That's, that's not how that works. But if someone in the movie says, "But that's not possible. That shouldn't be happening," it's like, "Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too." In the audience guy up on the screen, now I feel better about it. So this is the same design. We've talked about this before. It's not. They haven't changed it. I, I think all the old cases fit too. Like, is it exactly the same down to the millimeter? The cases won't fit because the camera openings are now totally different. Well, on the, even on the seven. Yeah, it's it's a much bigger camera opening. Uh, is it? Because my uh, so the exterior dimensions all told, leaving aside the camera bump, the exterior dimensions are identical. Um, or if not identical, then so unbelievably freaking close that I don't know how you can tell the difference. Um, but you make an interesting part point, Marco, that I hadn't considered that the camera bumps are different. So that might well certainly on the seven uh, seven plus. I mean, you don't have a hole for the headphone headphone port coming so at the very least it would be it would be weird to put a six on there and have this hole where there's nothing um but but at any rate essentially the same design and it's and they lead with that with the new design and the johnny i video is great because what is he going to say about this like he says he says all the things you'd expect him to say like this is this is our third bite at this apple this is our third you know it's the ultimate refinement of this design right so this is a design they've had time to work on first one was a little bendy second one was stiffer and now they're just like move the antenna lines uh, 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 you know they're just continue you can imagine if they were forced by you know some unseen you know an alien to say you have to keep doing this design forever and just refining it johnny i would just continue to find ways to like reduce moving parts and make it better and just you know thinner and lighter but if you watch that video again the johnny i video is available on apple's website i think they call it the design video wait until the last line he says which is i, I forget the exact wording um he basically recaps what he said at the beginning at the end he says this is the ultimate uh you know incarnation or whatever i'm paraphrasing i don't remember what he says 
of this design. And the way he says it is, is it the ultimate incarnation of this design? Like he says it as if he, he's holding, he's holding the iPhone eight in his hand while he says it's like, that, I can't believe they let in that intonation go in there. Go listen to it again. Marco will put a clip in right here and, and we'll be able to hear how it is. It's totally weird. When complete, iPhone seven is the most singular, the most evolved representation of this design. But honestly, hanging a lantern on it or lampshading it or whatever you want to call it for the new design i think it worked i mean you know why like we knew about the jet black ahead of time or you did if you were looking at rumor sites i really like the jet black i think the product shots of this thing are amazing i've never been a hater of this design as much as marco is i think it is perfectly a perfectly cromulent design like it is a a rounded (laughs) rectangle shouldn't have been bendy way too slippery but aesthetically speaking the jet black one is the first one of this design that I actually can say that I've liked. Not just tolerated and said, yeah, it's fine, it's okay. I think the jet black one looks freaking cool. Can you tell me what cromulent means? It's not in the Apple Dictionary. Just, it would take too long, save for the other show. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I agree with you that the jet black, at least aesthetically, looks awesome. Uh, I immediately thought to myself, oh, I know what I'm getting. I'm going to be getting a jet black iPhone 7. And then I thought other things, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, But what was interesting was I had noticed earlier today that Apple basically comes out and all but says, well, the jet black one is probably going to get the smithereens scratched out of it. So it says on the uh, page that you go to go ahead and buy it, footnote number two, the high gloss finish of the jet black iPhone seven is achieved through a precision nine step anodization and polishing process. Its surface is equally as hard as other anodized Apple products. However, it's high shine may show fine micro abrasions with use. If you are concerned about this, we suggest you use one of the many cases available uh, to protect your iPhone or just get the black one without the jet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean exactly. th- i think that's the most important aspect of this aesthetically speaking before we get into how these things might feel is the black is back i hate the white front of all ios devices i think it's crazy to put a actual bright white physical device next to your screen it just makes your screen look dingy because your screen is never going to be as white as a reflective white surface black black use it in all your product shots it makes the surface look like one big giant featureless thing and the screen just comes out of it black everywhere black front black back everywhere black is back i'm happy about that and they have two blacks it's so awesome they have not space black not space gray just black and jet black and i agree that the i wish they'd call it piano black but i agree that the, the shiny black one is, i mean god can you even look at it can you even take it out of the case like it's like the guitar and spinal tap don't touch it don't even look at it like you can't touch that with your fingers like it's just you know it's like the piano black in marco's car right you have that friend and you're a tesla right mm-hmm. the little you you can't talk, touch it you can't breathe on it you can't do anything with it but boy does it look good in product shots and it takes a lot to get me excited about the same lozenge shape that's been here for three years but they found a way to do it yeah visually uh, visually i think this looks unbelievably good right so now do you think this thing is going to squirt out of our hands like a like one of those little uh inverted water balloon things you know what those are <laughs> well so, so oh, that, this, yeah. is, this is what's, <laughs> what's interesting about this uh so so gruber was in the uh, the hands-on area doing a couple of periscopes earlier today and he said that um that it, people were asking about the grip the grippiness of like the two different blacks and he said that and there was a couple people that backed this up so it's not just him um that the the jet black super shiny one is 
almost tacky feeling. It is surprisingly grippier than the regular steel or the regular aluminum ones that that we've had to date and grippier than than you know the the matte black one so this is going to be interesting you know basically what do you choose here do you choose something that looks better like in pristine conditions but is probably going to look worse all times of day every day in reality and after the first day you have it uh but is easier to hold or do you or do you go with the one that is slippery and harder to hold and you'll probably have to have a case with it so to me i'm kind of leaning towards glossy black jet black just because i like having the additional grip texture like i and if it's going to look crappy on the back oh well you know like i i I leave my phone so i've been going caseless for the last few months Uh, i got those the d brand skin that mkbhd told everybody about Uh, i got those because they're like 12 bucks uh for for both my my success and then i also have the the six non S plus for, for that I bought for testing back when the first plus came out. Um, and I put it on both of those, just a basic black, uh, vinyl skin basically. And it really does improve the grip by a decent amount. Uh, but this sounds like it might even be more than that. And so if I can get a very grippy back, like I wonder, is it, is it going to be as grippy as the, uh, like the, the old plastic cases on the five C and the three G and the three GS. Cause that would be like, if, if it achieves that level of grip, I don't care how it looks like that. That would be amazing to hold for a new potentially giant phone uh, to because what, what you don't want with these big phones, you don't want to need a case because cases add size. So if your complaint is that the phone is too big in your hand or pocket, the last thing you want to do is have to bulk it up just to add grip because then you're making that problem even worse. So ideally, like the, the reason I switched back after after about a year and a half of using the leather case, the reason I switched back to caseless with these vinyl things is because I wanted a smaller pocket size. Like I wanted to minimize that, and it works great. And I and then I have you know all the full, the full usefulness of the um, of the left side uh, swipe, the the pushing and the force touch for the for like all the edge gestures mm-hmm. and everything, which is which are a little bit harder using the leather case. Uh, so like ideally, caseless but grippy is the way to go. So I am totally willing to to get the fingerprint and scratch magnet and accept that it will just never look good as long as it works well in my hand. Because when I'm using the phone, I'm not looking at the back. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, also interesting, which was not mentioned during the keynote, but now is probably a pretty good time to say it. Um, Apple quietly reduced the price of Apple. Uh, what is it? Apple Care screen replacements. It used to be, I believe, a hundred dollars, and now it's only thirty, which is probably going to be enough for me to buy Apple Care for the first time ever, and potentially enough for me to go caseless for the first time in quite a long time. I think I started using cases with the 4S. I think that's right, and I've been in cases of some flavor ever since. If Apple Care. If you get two accidental uh, replacements for thirty bucks a pop with Apple Care, which I believe is the case, and I have yet to irrec- it, it What? How do you pronounce that word? Irrecoverably. Anyway, it, I've I've yet to really <laughs> Not destroy like that, an but iPhone. We know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I've yet to properly destroy an iPhone. <laughs> uh, knock on wood. Uh, I think I might go caseless and just get Apple Care for the first time and just take my chances because that's not a bad deal to get a whole new screen replacement, assuming there's no other damage to the phone. I have bad news for you. You have irrevocably destroyed your iPhone the second you get that screen replaced. 
you can't. This, these are not repairable <laughs> devices. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that, but the once they once they open it up to replace the screen and put it back together, it's never the same. Yeah, uh, you're probably right. That's basically right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's not that I'm saying I'm planning on dropping the thing, but for the first time in a long in a long time, caseless might be caseless. Oh my god. I'm so tempted to hit the bell, but I just can't. <laughs> I just can't do it. Margo, will insert some terrible rim shot. <laughs> he deserves it. Wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, so what about the the shiny uh, the jet black business? Uh, it's kind of. Uh, I'm not going to say this is the same as the iPod Nano, the scratcherific iPod Nano, but this is aesthetics aside and grippiness aside. Um, this is the wrong material to make super shiny. I still maintain that my, my, my favorite and the best uh, phone design, aesthetically speaking, as just an object that you hold in your hand, setting aside uh, most other things about it, is the 4 and 4S and the, the black ones, obviously. The black 4 and 4S had a shiny black back to them. And that worked because it was glass, which is incredibly scratch resistant, unlike this surface, which apparently if you sneeze on it, it's going to get scratched. Even if you put a case on it, <laughs> it's going to get scratched because in between the case and your shiny black back is going to be some tiny little piece of dust that's going to leave microscopic scratches on it, right? But speaking of $30 screen replacements, glass back, not a great idea because now you have two sides that can shatter and people did. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm assuming the 10th anniversary iPhone 8 complete edge-to-edge piece of glass, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that presentation should have parts of it that were omitted for this one. Parts that emphasize how much stronger the glass is and how much it resists shattering and instead bends and, uh, you know, how much stiffer the case is. Like, just all the damage aspects. They leaned on waterproofing and dustproofing, which is great, and I'm glad they're advancing on those fronts. But droppability-wise, this one's just as shattery as the other ones. And now, if you get the jet black one, it's like the scratchiest thing that could that Apple has ever shipped, according to their own documentation here, except for the uh, iPod Nano. So I think if you you know if you just want it for grippiness, that's fine. I think if you buy this and use it without a case, or even if you use it with a case, you have to embrace the idea that it's going to get scuffed up. And I don't know, maybe it will look good when it's scuffed up, or maybe like Marco, you shouldn't care. Um, but it's another one of those products that, unfortunately, you have to divorce the the reality of Apple product shots from the product that you're going to actually unwrap because they're mostly unrelated to each other and just make your peace with what it's going to really be like to own it. But that aesthetic shiny black that maintains the four and four S did that like, because it's not, you know, you can make glass pretty hard and uh, scratch proof. So if you didn't drop it and shatter either side of it, like I go look at my wife's four S right now, it still looks pretty darn good. I mean, it looks almost like it's new. That was an incredibly good design. If you're going to do glossy, you have to do it something that's scratch resistant. Otherwise, you're just inviting trouble. And so Apple is inviting trouble with this jet black thing, but it looks really cool. Well, yeah, it looks really cool in pictures and videos. And yeah, but no one has ever touched it. Yeah, like if, if you look also in Gruber's uh, Periscope, that this his one, I believe it was the second one in the hands-on area. You can see like the phone that was in the hands-on area. Like at one point, he like does like an angle shot, and you can just see like it's covered in fingerprints. And that's like from a few and and they they had people like the staffers who were there running the hands on area. People were saying like they they would wipe them down with polishing cloths between each person handling them most of the time. And this one was just like one that was lying down flat on the table, which obviously was handled by like two or three people, maybe at most. And it was covered in fingerprints like it, it you're like basically your phone. If you get the jet black 
will never look the way it like by the time you're unwrapping it and plugging it in to sync everything over if you do everything with itunes like like a like a smart person with backups uh because you, then you don't have to enter your passwords all over again if you click the encrypt backups box anyway like by the time you're done like setting up your phone it's not going to look like that anymore like you won't even get a day with it looking like that yeah you can't you can't touch it you can't touch it you can't expose it to the air or dust <laughs> or anything like you just get and here's the thing the front of all of our phones all already looks gross like we are exuding oil all the time our little fleshy appendages yeah. are just gross and they're like constantly like that's just the way it is if, if you touch things with your bare fingers they will be gross the front of go look at the front of your phone right now it is a mess it it has to be like the, the oil phobic coating on there to make the oil spread but like there's no there's no getting around it yeah by the way i was wondering like did they put that coating on the jet black because they never mentioned it so the answer is probably no but no. it seemed like they it, the it would have benefited from the oleophobic coating i don't know if that would have made it slippier but like there, there's no hope like here, the smudges there's nothing anybody could do about it but but i think again getting back to the 4 and 4s they've smudged up and everything too but smudges can buff right out scratches less so so if it is scratchy then it's just going to look like a big scuffed up mess. And it's like getting scratches in the clear coat of your car. Eventually it just looks like a mess. Whereas if your car was entirely made of glass, it uh, wouldn't get scratches, but probably not a great material choice for a car. <laughs> it's for many of the same reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing I would say about these colors is the the non-glossy black looks a little bit dated like it looks it, it reminds me of the, of the ipad or the iphone 5 the not before the 5s when I mean, that had like the that its own like space black it just it kind of looks like okay like you had a bunch of geeks pick some phone colors and of course they're gonna pick black i like that it's actually black though i'm sick of all these different grays like make it black but we see we have now we have two blacks though it's like do we do we really need two like because then if, if you look at the rest of the colors the you know there's no more space grays so now it's you, know, you basically have like light silver uh gold and pink I to me the whole lineup with the exception of the the glossy black one the colors look a little bit dated and stale to me they look a little bit overplayed now which is weird for a brand new high profile device like this like I don't is it just me like do, do those colors not look old to you those colors don't those colors don't do anything for this design the reason I think the jet black looks so good is that it accentuates the parts of this design that are interesting which is basically the rounded edges and the rounded edges just blend away into nothing if you have an entirely matte case on it when you have something that is glossy or even something that is black is more reflective it highlights the 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 rounded edges and makes it look cool or even just the little highlights around the little speaker openings if everything is matte it's like well there's a screen and then some amorphous blob back there that's like silvery or goldy and that's not doing this design any favors and you're right they have repeated those colors for a long period of time and they're not particularly helping it but i think most people use cases i think the black one is great mostly because you get the black front with it and then just throw it in a case and like i don't i don't even remember what color the back of my phone is i assume it's like grayish something but i don't see it because it's inside my case um so i think it's appropriate like wh what else could they do with it could they make them like really dark primary colors i think that would be unwise at this point it's best to just stick with colors that they know they, they know the relative popularity of those colors add one or two new things in the mix and interesting also that they're doing the the black book thing 150 dollars for black if you want your macbook in black well if you want the jet black one you can't get the lower storage model you have to get the uh, 128 or 256 which so it's a clear signal that the jet black one is supposed to be the fancy one they're kind of punishing you for your uh desires for a shiny phone by a giving you a phone that's never gonna look like that and b making you pay more <laughs> which is totally in the apple tradition and everyone who buys the jet black one including me are going to deserve it so you are getting a jet black one 
I think so. I think I'm going to get one because, like, I, I didn't know if it, there would be anything in the seven to convince me to upgrade because this is my year. I have a six. Um, mostly I was convinced by the things we haven't talked about yet, but the jet black didn't hurt. <laughs> Fair enough. You are the perfect person to have a jet black because you are always slightly dissatisfied about everything. And you will always be slightly dissatisfied <laughs> with the condition of your jet black finish. I, I don't know if I, I think I'll probably still get a case for it. I'm I'm generally dissatisfied with the state of my leather case. I don't know what's happened to it, but it's starting to get like all rumply and pimply. So it, it, it looked my, my leather case was awesome up until maybe three months ago. And then it started to get rumply. And now I'm like, maybe I should get a black silicone case next time. But I, I have to hold it in person to see what it's like, how slippery it is, because I would not use my six without a case ever. I don't think I would use a six S without a case ever either. I'll have to try this one out to see how it is. I am really torn because I really like the look of the jet black, but I think even in a case, I'm going to know that that thing's getting scratched crap. And I actually think the, the black black looks really darn good as well. I completely echo what John is saying that to me, anything other than a black iPhone is kind of silly. Like it would be one thing I, I would actually really consider the silver phone if it had a black front, but these white faces just, Oh no, thank you. If there was a, if there was a silver and black, I'd probably pull the trigger on that one. But since there's not, I think I'm going to go regular black. Um, and I think I'm going to go 128. I don't think I need to go 256, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, Marco, what are you planning on doing? So we will. So I'm going jet black for the grip, even though I know it's going to look bad. It's like I'm I'm tempted to like take a piece of sandpaper to the back the very first day I have it and just like give it like a smooth coating, <laughs> just to be like just give me like a nice like matte finish here that's still grippy. The soft matte then it'll get slippery again i think it won't be grippy anymore i think part of the gripperiness is the is the shiny it's kind of like the plastic back of the 5c i think that's so don't do that it'll happen naturally on its own Uh, all right our final sponsor this week is betterment betterment is the largest independent automated investing service out there you've probably been hearing a lot about them in TechCrunch, the wall street journal and other major news outlets betterment makes it easier more straightforward and less expensive to invest Betterment is built on smarter, cutting-edge technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice, all at a much lower cost than more traditional financial services. More than 175,000 customers choose Betterment's advanced advice algorithms and beautiful user interface to manage over $5 billion of their customer dollars. This is the perfect time to get started with Betterment and start saving for your retirement or other financial goals. It is never too early to start. Betterment makes it so easy and so low-cost with their automated investing and robo-advisor service. So check it out today at betterment.com slash ATP, and you will get up to six months of no fees. Their fees are already very low. Go to our link. You get up to six months of no fees. Learn how at betterment.com slash ATP. That's betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment, investing made better. So next on the list of 10, water and dust resistant, which is one of the things that was spilled by Apple's own tweets earlier in the uh, presentation. So I don't have the term handy, but now it is meeting like IP67, something along those lines. That means that if I remember correctly, you can submerge it not very deep for up to a half an hour and it should work just fine which is excellent. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, and that's, that's an improvement for everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they, uh, you can tell like a, lo- a lot of the changes they've made this year 
are to, and, and we'll get to the other ones in a minute, but a lot of the changes we've, they've made this year are to reduce the ways in which people's iPhones can fail or get killed. Uh, basically like reduce the number of of moving parts of parts that can get crap stuck in them or cables bent in them or whatever else uh and this is just one other way like clearly apple looks at its repair data from the genius bar and warranty claims and everything clearly they know like anything you can do to get to keep dust and water especially water out uh you will do wonders in prolonging the lifetime of these of these devices and making people happier with them um you know, I disagree with some of the reasons they've chosen to remove things like the headphone jack, but the result here is, you know, pretty good that now I, now I don't have to worry if I get my phone really wet to the point where, like, as as Phil showed on stage, like somebody falling in a pool with a phone in their pocket or, like, I think the more, the more pedestrian, horrible uh, version of this is dropping your phone in the toilet. Uh, but there's lots of ways people can inadvertently submerge their phone briefly in water that used to most likely kill it and now most of the time or all the time basically won't and that's great i can't believe they they didn't do the obvious demo i, I wonder if it does this in real life remember in the watch thing where they're like oh we sealed up all the openings so they did the same graphic for the phone we sealed up all the openings now it's even more water resistant and now the phone is water resistant except for of course we couldn't seal up the speaker so our solution here is that when water gets in the speaker after you end the workout we push the water out of the speaker well the one opening that they left aside from the speakers on the phone that has been known to have problems is the lightning connector so what they should have done is we recommend once a month that you put your phone in the water and then the taptic engine will eject the water and all the scum that's got <laughs> in there. so you, you don't because oh, yeah. genius bar like that has to be one of the, the the major reasons people go to the genius bar oh it's not charging anymore i can't get the connector all the way in it says this uh this accessory is not made for this device all the different problems that basically boil down to you have pocket lint in your lightning port let me pick it out with this pointy little tool yep if it's water resistant and if the taptic engine is right behind it this is like a self-cleaning type of thing where <laughs> it should be able to it does it needs a medium so probably get some water but like eject the the content like every once in a while your phone just like sneezes and ejects all the scum that's in there <laughs> that would be watch amazing for watch for that in the, in the oh, next goodness. version of the uh the, the iphone it was, they did it they did it on the watch uh anyway that's what i was thinking oh can you imagine phil explaining this feature <laughs> we call it i puke yeah. <laughs> oh god but that would be really useful because people's phones and mine included we they always fill up with crap like i i have to take like some kind of like pointy prod tool or often just a, a paper clip and uh scrape out all the pocket link out of lightning center maybe every three or four months I have to tell you, I've still never had to do that, but I I know that I'm an outlier. <laughs> Talking to all the other people I know with this phone, <laughs> including my own parents, everyone else seems to have to do this, but not me. All right. Now, the chat room has given us the real-time follow-up we needed. It is IP67, and the phones should be able to survive immersion in up to 3.2 feet of water, which is one meter, uh, for up to 30 minutes. So basically, don't go deeper than about uh, a yard or a meter, and don't leave it there for very long, and you should be good to go. And that's that's super awesome. Don't try to take, like, underwater pictures with it, by the way. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, if you drop it in the water, it'll be fine, right? But don't, like, I'm going to take it swimming and take movies underwater for an hour. Nope, don't do that. As the tipster puts so eloquent, eloquently in the chat, it can survive me. Wow. Jerks. <laughs> um, when we were going through our list of 10, uh, I accidentally skipped number two. Uh, water and dust resistance was number three. And coincidentally, one of the ways that they got to water and dust resistance was by swapping out the home button 
and it isn't really a button anymore. It's a not piece of glass necessarily, but it's kind of like the new trackpads that Marco is so in love with. And now it's all just smoke and mirrors and the Taptic engine. Straight out of Dune, buttoning without moving. A I've reference that it. you guys don't get. Nope. That's fine. Anyway, it doesn't move. It's a button that doesn't move. We have a bunch of buttons that don't move on our Macs. We're totally used to buttons that don't move. The screen is filled with buttons that don't move. Now the home button (laughs) doesn't move anymore. But it's still got a little indentation, so it's nice that you could find it. Yeah. Uh, We'll see how it is. Like Marco's least favorite non-moving trackpad is the one on the smallest device, and I'm assuming that's because on the really small MacBook 1, the Taptic engine can't give the bump that he needs to feel like he's pressing something. I imagine that problem will also exist in the very tiny phone. Well, it's it's worse than that even. I mean, if if you if you look at the uh the impressions that the hands-on people have of it, they all basically say it actually doesn't feel anything like the Force Touch trackpads and it it doesn't feel button-like at all. That, you know, it, it the the opinions vary between the people who are there about whether they like it or not. But the but the overwhelming consensus is that it does not feel like you're clicking a button at all. It doesn't it doesn't fool you like the trackpad can fool you. No, it's the way they describe it sounds a lot more like the Apple Watch's tapping engine, where like you push hard on something and it vibrates, but it doesn't feel like you just clicked a button for real. Yeah, that's another thing I think I'll have to try before I actually pull the trigger on the seven. Is you know I'm not I'm not going to pre-order one. I'm not going to order one side and see, and I'm going to wait. You know, the same stuff I usually do. Let people get the crappy first batch that has all the problems and go into the apple store and try it i think no matter how bad it is i'll get over it because again honestly the the current home button on my six that goes in and out i'm not a super big fan of that one it, sometimes it bothers me especially when i'm using my ipad my new ipad pro frequently especially with stupid ios 10 with the little press the button to unlock i don't want to press the button to unlock. i just want it to <laughs> unlock like it used to anyway i'm gonna i'll get used to it but pressing in especially when i've got it on my lap on my bed or something i like being able to sort of graze my fingers across the surface of the screen except when i like realize oh i want to go back to the home screen then i have to actually press really hard on the thing now force touch probably doesn't get rid of that hard pressing but you know maybe it'll feel better that nothing moves in i don't know i i I totally defer to everyone in the hands-on area and the fact that it's been split at this point probably means that this is not a slam dunk home run but i might not be bothered by it but i as with so many things as we'll get to later this just feels like an inevitability where Apple, you know, Apple gave all the examples. We remove moving parts from our products because overall it's better for reliability and you'll get used to it. And I think all of that is true. Isn't the Taptic engine <laughs> a moving part that dies constantly? But it's inside the thing. Like it's not, you don't get to, it's, it's a sealed, it's a sealed unit. Like it's not, is it not a moving part that you get to move? We move it. And See, this I, is like... I, I, I really fundamentally, we'll get to this more, I really fundamentally disagree with the justification that this is the inevitable future. Of course, we're moving to get rid of all this stuff. Really? Is that really inevitable? Like, it, I think a lot of the, in a lot of these cases, that's, it's, that's not really a valid argument or that's not a complete argument. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've ever heard this uh, podcast, Marco, called Hypercritical, but this guy who uh, hosted it used to talk about the naked robotic core of different devices. And I, I would say we're moving closer and closer to that. Well, we have volume buttons. We, ha- we have the, the silent button. I was thinking of the volume buttons, right. Why, why do the volume buttons still move? And when I was thinking about why the volume button and the power button, why do the volume buttons and the power buttons still move? When I was thinking about that, I was thinking of my 
very weird, rumply and pimply leather case for my iPhone 6, which, by the way, someone in the chat room tells me that the 6S cases were actually manufactured differently, supposedly, uh, I assume, better. But anyway, um, when I use my iPhone 6 in the leather case and I operate the volume controls and the power button through this rumply leather case, they might as well not move. I can't even tell that they're moving. I essentially <laughs> just apply pressure to the bulges that are on the outside of the case, and I'm pretty much fine with applying pressure to the bulges. I can't really feel them move underneath my fingers, but I don't have to apply that much pressure. If they made the volume buttons and the power buttons not move, uh, but feel the same as they do on my leather case, I think I would be fine with that too. So maybe I'm going to be in the camp that that doesn't mind it. But the the inevitability is just like moving parts break and get crap wedged in them and are bad for waterproofing and it's not you get used to not having them like it's possible to make a good physical user interface with something that doesn't move or doesn't move that much um as we've seen like the the force touch track pads they do flex they don't they don't move they don't go up and down but they do actually flex if you were to look at with a microscope they do actually bend and flex maybe if they gave the home button a little bit of give again i think we talked about this when we were talking about the force touch trackpad of the uh so the F16, the the control stick that doesn't move that much, it moves a little bit. They originally, I think we went through this in follow up. We're just going to repeat the same freaking follow up. Like the control stick, normally when you play a control, uh, a control stick like in a, a flight simulator game or an airplane, you move it up, down, left, and right. Well, in the F16, the, the the flight stick is not in between your legs, but it's to the side. And I think they originally made it so it didn't move at all, but it was totally weird for for like pilots to just apply pressure and not have it move. So then they made it move a little bit, but in general, it doesn't move as much. So you're mostly just applying pressure. I think that kind of happy medium can make for a really good, efficient user interface. Maybe they just haven't struck the right balance here. And when they come out with the 8, they will enhance it. The, the thing, the worst case scenario is the rumored 8 that they keep mocking up, which is actually no button. Like, it's just a smooth, completely smooth surface. You can't even feel where it is. And it gives as much as the screen gives. Uh, and again, we all use buttons that don't give it all on the screen all the time, and we're fine with it. But the home button is like the last bastion of like I can pull the thing out of my pocket and feel around to unlock the phone. And I think they can't, they can't really give that up. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it feels. Very, very curious. I feel like every um, Apple device that I've owned that has a home button over the year to two years that I use it, the home button just feels less and less crisp over time even though they've always worked, like I've never had a catastrophic failure of my home button. It just feels kind of gross after a long time. And if this prevents that because nothing is actually moving, I'm all for it. I, I mean, I'm a little worried based on the reviews like Marco was talking about, but in principle, sounds good to me. Also, real-time follow-up, uh, IP67. Turns out that actually uh, IP is ingress protection. And then the six and seven, are how much dust protection you can get from from zero to six, six being the most, and how much liquid prote- protection you have between zero and nine k, uh, where six, uh, I'm sorry, seven is the immersion up to one meter in depth. The two remaining options are immersion one meter or more depth, and nine k is powerful high temperature water jets. So I guess if you wanted to bring it in like a hot tub or something like that, which I did not know, I thought that was kind of cool. Anything else on home button design, water dust resistance, anything before the camera? It all remains to be seen in practice. Yeah, very much so. But, I mean, so far this is sounding really good. I mean, these are these are incremental updates, but but I dig it. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to it. 
All right, Captain Negative. I, I just, I, I really don't like Force Talks. That's it. Like, I, I oh. everyone says this one's different from all the other ones. So, hey, maybe I could like this one a lot because it's not like the other ones. Who knows? We'll see. I don't know. I really think that if you weren't told that you were trying a Force Touch trackpad for the first time now you've been ruined for life but for the first time if you tried it on a macbook pro and not a macbook and you weren't told beforehand i really think you would never be able to know the difference especially if it was cranked up to maximum touchiness i don't know what but maximum intensity um i i really don't think you could tell but now you it's you've seen the arrow in the fedex logo and you are forever ruined i don't know anyway so let's talk cameras uh, first and, uh, most importantly to me as someone who does not think he's going plus club optical image stabilization on the iPhone seven, two thumbs up for that. Uh, F 1.8 aperture instead of, I think it was 2.2 before. Is that right? I believe that's what Dan Sturm had said on, uh, said to me on Twitter. Um, so a little bit wider aperture, which is really, really kind of exciting. Um, the lens that I have for my micro four thirds camera that I spent several hundred dollars on, I think can go to maybe 1.4 and we're talking 1.8 here. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like you guys do. There is a, a very important distinction here though. And that is that, um, the, the pairing of aperture to sensor size, uh, is the relevant part here. As you make the sensor smaller, the 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 aperture equivalent goes up. So, like uh, an f one point eight aperture at the little tiny iPhone sensor size might have like the background blur capabilities of like an f four or f five point six lens on your size sensor. I I, I don't know the exact oh, ratio for these for okay. these two, but it's like and then like when you you know if you have an f1.8 lens on your sensor versus an f1.8 lens on a full frame sensor the full frame one will have more more background blur capable based on it. yeah there's there's all these like ratios and everything because of the optics but basically uh the f1.8 is nice to have uh you know just for the amount of light it's letting in but for background blur purposes it is not comparable to the numbers you get from yours Oh, I did not know that. Well, that's really interesting. But still, and I mean, it, it's fair to say it's an improvement, right? I mean, it's it's certainly not a bad thing. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I mean, the, the important thing is what Phil said on stage, 50% more light being let in. And that is, you know, that means that you can get faster shutter speeds or you can get, you know, more light collected before you start getting noise issues and get the pictures get all noisy. Um, so, that, yeah, anytime you can increase the aperture to get more light in uh, while keeping what you want in focus... Uh, that is always a good thing for for the quality of your photos. They didn't say anything about sensor size. Is this bigger than the previous sensors? I don't know if they changed it or mentioned it. I it, it, I did see that it, it was um, backside illuminated, but I I forget whether the 6s was also. No, um, that's been around for a while. I mean, that's, that, that's thought, where yeah. the rubber meets the road. Like they say a lot of stuff about the lens and the image stabilization, but the bottom line is how big is your sensor and how how, how big is the sensor and how sensitive is it to light. And the, the Apple has at various times touted both of those, like, oh, we don't have as many pixels, but the pixels we have gather more light each so you can get better low light photography, right? Or we made the sensor bigger, so now it gathers more light, and now they're making, you know, the aperture bigger. Like, you just, you got to get as much light in as you can, and you have to be able to collect as much of that light on the largest area. To get, the ideal would be the entire back of the phone is a giant sensor, but that's, that's fantasy tech that doesn't exist at this point. Or even something like that, what the Litro thing, where you have like a thousand little cameras all collecting the light field and doing all the crap. Like, the, like it, we said on the shows, we were talking about my big fancy camera. There are environments, primarily indoors or at night or whatever, where you're never going to get a good shot 
with uh, an iPhone with its tiny, tiny sensor with the current technology of light gathering. And so that's why these big cameras, for most people's lives, you take a lot of pictures indoors and they're going to be dotty or they're going to be blurry and they're going to be noisy. And this, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And uh, if you look at anyone's sort of social media feed, people take tons of pictures with their phones in dark environments and they look terrible. Um, eventually they will not look terrible every little advance every every extra bit of light we're able to claw out of the environment and gather on a sensor means we're getting better and so apple continues to claw up that slope um and we'll get to the the whole you know dual camera angle they're trying to pitch here but as far as the 7 is concerned i think this is a significant advancement of the camera but in the grand scheme of things sort of like it's one of their good years but it's not a a, a gigantic advancement it is just like one of their good bumps to the camera for the yeah. single camera i'm talking about only i mean this is again this is one of those things that we're gonna have to see in reviews and in practice how it actually turns out because like you know they'll, they'll they'll say whatever they want on stage and you know every every iphone has the best camera we've ever put into an iphone you know like so that's you know of course it got better we won't know how much better for you know until until we get these things uh but it sure did sound like it was a it was a good year for it. So I I mean you know even with the the single camera model without going into the giant one yet, uh, it sure does seem like it's a good year for it. I mean that is a pretty notable aperture improvement. Um, that is a substantial um, you know lens optics you know count of having the six elements and everything. So like it sounds good and the optical image stabilization is good. So we'll see how this turns out, but it's probably a pretty good upgrade year even for the regular seven non-plus yeah this is one of the factors in me wanting to upgrade because remember i have a six not a success so this is a huge leap over the six and as i do find myself taking a lot of pictures of my six because the camera is not that terrible i would love to be able to take pictures in slightly more challenging environments so this if you have a, a six this is a, a definitely a reason to get this phone just your pictures will come out much better because a two-year advancement is big if you have a success i don't know uh I think someone's going to have to do a comparison test and show show me the practical realities of single camera seven versus single camera success, especially the success plus, which is my wife's uh, phone. I'm not sure how big of a jump that's going to be, but they're making progress. They're doing all the right things other than, uh, you know, the bulge is still there, but I think they've just like given up on that now. Also notable <laughs> is, uh, is the inclusion of the, the wide color gamut photo shooting, which I, that is something that is very hard to find and do well in other cameras. Uh, like you know they they exist sometimes or they have different uh color profiles they can use but dealing with that is kind of a pain in the butt uh and so to have this be built in and just all your photos shot on the iphone are just going to have wide gamut support and you're going to view them on the iphone which itself also has wide gamut support on its display and it'll just work like that's awesome and that's that is not an easy thing to do and that's pretty good uh the other thing to mention with the with the both camera capabilities thing is raw shooting this is i really am going to be interested to see how this turns out the idea here is like you know for basically a very quick overview uh most photos you get out of most cameras are jpegs the camera has done some processing to interpret the raw sensor data from the sensor um to to apply things like you know normalizing colors and white balance and sharpening usually usually more sharpening and contrast boosting than you might realize um basically to try to make every photo look 
good and to apply slight processing uh, if there's if there's flaws in the lens if the lens has like you know slight barrel distortion or slight vignetting where the corners don't capture quite as much light as the middle or things like that they, those will all be corrected in that same procedure as as you convert from the raw sensor data to the jpeg that you that you then store and show the person um high-end cameras for a long time have offered the ability to save raw files which basically just skips all that processing or defers it to later and saves onto the onto the flash card the actual raw sensor data which is massive and then to view those and process them requires your computer or whatever else to do all that all that conversion and generation and everything the advantage to that is that if you you know usually the advantage to that not only is like you know if you want to do less messing with the original data and you want to like do that in in your own controlled way to to do it either differently or to do less or more of it uh, there's also other other major advantages like jpegs have a certain limit of of how much uh, dynamic range they can apply uh, or they can they can represent so like what what the difference is between 100% white and 100% black JPEG has you know just like a certain limit of how much precision can be stored there. So there's a limit of how much dynamic range you can store in a JPEG. RAW it doesn't have any kind of inherent limit there. It's basically whatever the sensor can represent. Uh, so if you're if you have areas of the picture that are blown out that are bright white and you want to like pull some detail out of there, or if you have areas that are just black and like there might be some detail there in those shadows that you might that you might want to pull out, um, you can do that much more effectively with RAW files because what if that data was on the sensor at all, it's still there and you can process that and you can, you can get a lot of, a lot of detail out of that way more than you can out of just processing a JPEG. Cause the JPEG already had all the like very, very fine granularity thrown away in, in the processing step to make it from, from the sensor to a JPEG in the first place. Also, there's things like uh, white balance on a raw is a lossless operation. So you can, you can tweak the white balance and colors as much as you want on a raw file, and it's not actually like destructively editing that in any way, and, and you don't lose anything by doing that. So raw files are great for pro photographers. They're a bit of a pain to work with. They're, they're really huge, but, but they're, they allow you a lot of flexibility. Now, a camera like this, you might think, wow, this is going to be great. I can't wait to have, to have that kind of flexibility on my iPhone photos. The problem, though, is that when you get to a very, very tiny sensor like this with a very tiny lens that sells for something like $40, like whatever the part is, the, 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 camera, the camera on the phone is a very, very constrained camera in both size and cost. So chances are the, the processing that the iPhone does to make its JPEGs is really necessary to make them look good. Uh, chances are that it's doing a lot of corrections to things that you, like, basically... I question whether there's any more quality to be had from the RAWs on iOS, on iPhones, because Apple is really good at this kind of processing. They're probably doing the best they reasonably can with their own built-in processing. So the idea of somebody else being able to tweak more data from those RAW files, I think, is possible, but unlikely. And what it's more likely to be is just larger, slower-to-process images that don't have all the nice balancing and contrast and sharpness and lens corrections that the built-in ones will have so we'll again we'll see how that goes i think there's a headroom there i think they they hinted at it with showing the lightroom demo is that if you really want to you know like uh, the way i think of the raw to jpeg thing is that going from raw to jpeg is, is a, a lossy operation you have to pick an exposure level and if you pick an exposure level where all where the, this all these shadows are black or all these highlights are blown out to white you're never going to get any new information out of that black is black and white is white um, whereas if you still have the raw and if you have it in a program like Lightroom, you can 
pick a particular shadow area and expose that differently to pull out detail from the shadows over there. But then in these highlights over here, expose it differently. Like you can actually, because the, because the raw sensor data is behind there, treat different areas of the photo differently based on the subject matter. Um, and you're right that you will have to reapply all the stuff that Apple does, particularly probably noise reduction in uh, in anything that doesn't have really bright light because it's going to be noisy on that little sensor. Um, but I assume the ability to basically process the image in more or less the same way Apple does it, it will be available to third parties. And then on top of that, it's all just like, what do you want to do artistically speaking to this particular photo? So I think you will be able to pull out shadow detail and highlight stuff if you're willing to put in the time to treat different images of the area differently. I think you're right that the compromise for the entire image is probably Apple's probably doing the best, uh, you know, you can imagine, but the option, the option makes sense. And I think it opens up the market for applications, more serious photography applications on the phones, especially if, I mean, you didn't mention anything about 4k 60 frames per second. Uh, it's not there video, right. But so it will be in a few years and that will open it up for, you know, for video apps and video editing and and stuff like that. So anyway, I, I encourage anything that gives these iOS devices more of a, of a pro bent. And I think this is a, a move in that direction. Of course, it also means that you just fill up your photo allocation even faster. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, too, you know, it, if Apple really works on this, like, full stack, which they probably should and probably will, um, what this will, what this could also enable, depending on, you know, how well they do it, is this could just enable the built-in uh, editing controls in the Photos app. Like, if, if you can, if there's a setting somewhere that says, like, always shoot in RAW or something like that, if you can get the if you can get that in the Photos app, then the Photos app could itself keep doing over and over again all the cool Apple processing stuff as you adjust the various sliders and things to edit the raw. So if you have you know as you said, if you have a different opinion of what the highlights and shadows should be and, and what the white balance should be, you can have all that being done non destructively on the raw and still have all that processing done on the way out to to view to to display and to disk. It's not quite that simple, though, because Rene Ritchie had tweeted earlier, presumably because he was briefed by Apple, the camera app shoots JPEG. Only third-party apps can do RAW. Uh, that's right. Well, hopefully that's hopefully in the future that might be a setting. Uh, well, but, yeah, the setting is called fill my phone five times faster. Well, they have, <laughs> look, they have, this, they have a setting for video quality. You know, it, by default, the iPhone 6S could shoot 4K and it does a pretty good job of it, but that's not on by default. By default, it's, it's 1080p, I think it might even be 1080p 30. Uh, but it can also do 1080p 60 and 4K 30, and 4K is like is about a gig a minute at that at that at their bit rates. So like that's you know you figure they're selling a 16 gig phone that can shoot a gig a minute worth of video. That's kind of a problem. Uh, so it's disabled by default, but it's still an option for those of us who bought the 128, right? So, so like you know it was an option, but you know it's it's more practical for people with with the bigger phones. This is the same kind of thing. If they want to sell these big phones, here's a reason. Here's a way that like power users will want to buy the bigger phone so they can do this. Uh, so absolutely this is the kind of thing that they hopefully will do in the future because it seems weird to have that capability and to only let third-party apps use it and to not do anything with your own built-in photos app that everybody uses and that has lossless editing controls. They'll just add an SD card slot. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it. Uh, we should also talk about Phil's extra credit project, which was... Uh, depth of field adjustments and enhancements by way of the magic of software and these seven pluses two two lens camera system or two camera system before before we get to the depth of field thing we just talk about the two cameras 
on their own merits before the software update that's not even going to be out when the phones are out, right? So the two cameras <laughs> by themselves is you have two choices. You can take from this camera or from that camera, and one of them is zoomed in twice as much as the other, which is nice. It's pretty straightforward. I was looking for maybe a little bit more magic, which they kind of delivered on in their extra credit assignment. But essentially... Well, there actually uh, there is some magic in that it, it appears that you can zoom smoothly between those two focal lengths as well. Uh, I think I think it was it was just tap from one x to two x and slide from two x to ten x, but that's all software after that. That is that is how I heard it as well as what John is describing. That one to two is a jump, and after after two, it's a um, gradient. You might be right. I mean, they, they don't have to. They could do a smooth slide. They just go, oh, here's 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 the one X image, and I'll software scale until you get to one point nine nine nine, and then I'll switch to the other camera. But the bottom line is, you have two different cameras. Presumably, both have equally high quality sensors. They're just one is telephoto, as they said, and, and one of them is wide angle. And that alone, even if that was the only feature they had, was that you have two choices of two different cameras. It's nice because the default one is like wide angle because you want to take a, a picture of a group of friends or whatever. But every once in a while, like you see you see this a lot with like parents trying to take pictures of kids at like assemblies or camp things or whatever. And you know they're so far away. They're holding up their phone in the audience. You know their kid is going to be a speck because it's a wide angle lens and they're, they're towards the middle or the back. There's no way they're going to even be able to recognize their kid's face. If they had a 2x zoom on that, that would go a long way towards them being able to recognize where little Timmy is in the picture. So that's... A great idea. And hey, the the seven plus is gigantic. You have plenty of room on the back. You've already got a wart there. Why not make it a double wart? Hell, put five cameras on there <laughs> at five different zoom levels. Like just keep adding cameras along the top of it at different zoom levels. Um, this is a little bit barbaric. It will be looked back on as like remember when we couldn't do the entire back of the camera as a sensor? And instead we just kept adding more cameras. Uh but for now I think it's a it's a reasonable compromise. And then what I was looking for after that is okay. You got the two cameras. That's good. They they are good for all the things they're good at. What kind of magic can you do with these two cameras when they work together? And the magic is not shipping on release and not that amazing, especially in light of the light field cameras and all that other stuff where they're like, we just gather all the light and do these amazing things in software. Apple has less ambitious goals, but I think the, the result will be a little bit better. So real-time follow-up, Serendi Caldwell has said, you can absolutely pinch or really scroll to zoom between each lens, but the button allows you to be specific. Right, but like I said, I think all it's doing is software zooming the one until it gets to actual two and then it switches. Like, it would be fun to play with that and go, like, get it up to 1.99 and then switch to two and watch it all of a sudden get clearer, you know, because then it goes to the yeah. other lens. Well, just, like, put your finger over one of the lenses and just, like, see when it switches. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting point. I didn't think of it that <laughs> way. That's funny. Yeah. No, I mean, so this is this is going to be great. Like, this is one of the reasons why I'm most likely getting the plus uh, that I want this. And, and like, I love shooting photos with my iPhone like many people do. I shoot tons of photos with my iPhone. I shoot most of my photos with my iPhone. To have there be finally, like, a new optic to it that's that's built in, that's always there. You know, you, you've always been able to get little like, little, like, bolt-on lenses that you, like, slide on somehow or that rest there clip on or something and they're okay but it's never as good as having the built-in one that's always there so to have this this additional lens on there is going to be great my my only little nitpick I, you know with me there's always a nitpick is that i do kind of wish it was a little bit more zoomed in uh they so the the regular lens that's always been there um i had said a few episodes back that it was a 35 millimeter equivalent most of the time that was wrong it's actually a 28 millimeter equivalent in, in most recent models um, and so the new one being twice that is a 56 millimeter equivalent, which they said in, in the presentation. And 
that is and and so it's similar to a 50 millimeter lens that many people have used but only on full frame if you if you've used a 50 millimeter lens like on 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 a rebel or like a smaller camera like like that's not full frame that's actually more zoomed in than what you're getting with the iphone it's um the iphone uh you know that that is really they kept calling it a telephoto but i don't know any photographer who would describe a 56 millimeter lens as a telephoto lens that is a that is a medium lens or a normal lens um, the the 28 that you normally get with it is a wide. Uh, so anyway, they now have a wide and a normal. Um, I do wish they would have gone a little further, maybe given like an 85 millimeter equivalent. That would have been great um, because as you get a little further into that range, it starts looking a lot nicer for portraits and and just pictures of people in general. Um, it just the the more you get in there, the, the better it looks generally. You, you have to like take a couple steps back sometimes, but it's usually worth it. Um, so. Hopefully they will they will move in that direction. I mean, in my wildest dreams, heck, add a third one. You know, as as you were saying, John, like you know, you got like camera one, camera two. Go below it, add a giant a giant like circle that's as wide as both of those. There, put give me like a one thirty five there or something like that. Would be amazing. Um, probably not going to happen, but <laughs> uh, you know, physics is kind of a problem here in a, in a number of ways. But uh, you know, to have to have something a little more zoomed in would be nice. Um, also. The the fifty six millimeter lens, I believe, it, it has a lower aperture than the wide ones. I believe on the site it said it was an f f two point eight. So the the zoomed in lens will be worse at uh, low light situations. And whether it can perform or whether it, whether it can produce genuine background blur, which we'll get to in a minute, um, is 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 not going to be as good as if it were f one point eight. But because it is more zoomed in, basically the more zoomed in you are, the uh, focal length wise, the the more background blur you you can tend to produce, especially if if your subject is fairly close to you. So the 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 formula for background blur usually is subject very close to you, and also using a very long lens, like a very zoomed in lens. That's how you get blur, and you can actually get blur. On today's iPhones, on every iPhone, basically, you can get some background blur if you have something close up enough. Like, you got to be pretty close because it's a pretty wide lens on a little phone sensor. But if you put something really close to your iPhone, you will get a blurred background if the background is far enough away from you. Um, so anyway, new new dual lens camera thing just for the sake of photography, just basic photography. That is awesome. And the ability to very quickly switch, the fact that it isn't only a pink zoom, the fact that you can just hit that little button and it toggles to 2x, that is awesome. And I will probably use that a lot. So you're going plus club? I think so. I, I, for that reason alone. The the blur thing they show... So let, let's, let's talk about the blur thing. You want to intro that? Uh, yeah, I certainly can. But before I do, John, are you going plus club? Pfft, no. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I went back and forth on this. And I'm pretty sure, and, uh, and we'll talk about why in a moment, I am not going plus club either. So... Before this, all before the uh, presentation today, there was a lot of debate, especially because of the um, invitation that Apple had sent. A lot of debate over whether or not the Plus, with its supposed two-camera system that we now know is real, if it would be able to provide some really, really good bokeh. And I think we've talked about this in the past, but bokeh is that background blur that Marco was just talking about. So it's where you have please email Casey. Typically, yeah, please email me. So. Um, it typically, and, and I'm oversimplifying, but typically this is with a portrait, although not necessarily always, where you have, you know, the person 
relatively close to you, like Marco was just describing, and then the background is considerably more blurry. You know, hopefully the person is not blurry at all, and the background is very blurry. And people were saying beforehand that this seven plus will be able to give you legitimate, honest to goodness visual bokeh or that background blur. Some you can play those depth of field tricks. Now, Phil said he gave his engineers an extra credit problem. And the extra credit problem was, I want to see Boca like you get out of a DSLR or equivalent. And that's one of the reasons I brought my, my I bought my Micro Four Thirds was because I wanted to be able to do the same sort of thing. I want to be able to see that coming out of an iPhone. And so coming later this year, I believe they said, certainly later in an iOS 10 update, seven plus users will be able to do a portrait mode in the camera app that will that will synthesize the background blurring and give you synthetic bokeh. I really admire what they're doing here. It is really impressive and I really think they're on the right track to something really awesome. But the fact that it's totally synthetic I don't know. That's not. Sitting that's why now. it's not the right track. The right track is to be able to pull that off optically, like eventually with the, with the again mythical sensor that is the entire back of your camera with the just light field gathering and blah. Like to fake it, it's like it's like you had taken a picture and then given it to Todd Vaziri and told him uh, pretend the background was blurred and like have them go in and mask out the part. Like I mean, it's doing more than that because it's not just give me a flat image, let me find the people and blur the background, because that would be awful. I think it's also using the dual cameras to do it, to make a depth map, so it figures out, like, it's picking a focal distance, then it's trying to make a depth map by, I'm assuming, using, like, stereo vision from the two cameras and figuring out what's close and what's far by, like, you know, how far the images diverge from each other or whatever, making a depth map, and then picking its focal plane, and then saying anything behind that, then just applying, like, a blur filter to the stuff that is behind it in these focal planes. Like, and... I guess that can look okay in the shots, but I honestly, I think that the photos they chose to show us off were bad photos to show it off with. Like I, I, the backgrounds were so sort of bland that the blur didn't show anything. Like why didn't they do foliage? Foliage is is like the go-to, right? It's it's green with splotches of yellow with the light going through it. And like, that's, that's what you want to see the blur on. And they didn't show any of those for like a sky, a gray sky with a, with a suspension bridge and then a couple of lights, which I guess are pretty standard, like the imitation had lights in them. Um, and I had that person standing in front of a light field. But I was not all that impressed with the shots. And I worry that as this fake algorithm tries to make these depth maps and then just like does gauge and blur in the back, of it, that it's going to look like that, that it's going to look like a picture that a computer found the edges of your head and then blurred everything behind it. And, and that's I'm not looking for that. Well, because th- that's exactly what's happening. And, th- you know, this is not new. You've been able to get apps on the App Store. Instagram does this. You know, that's why I thought it was kind of funny, like, to have Instagram up there to say, oh, we can't wait to, to use all this new stuff. It's like Instagram's existing app has a background blur feature that, that does this. Uh, and there's, of course, lots of others. But that's got to work on 2D. It's, it's not, it's, it doesn't have the advantage of the depth field. So it, presumably the depth field, it's not, you don't have the problem of, like, edge detection around their heads because you actually kind of have an idea. Because, like, in an actual camera shot with depth of field, the the focal plane that the things that are actually sharp are actually pretty narrow and so like the person's ears could start to be a little bit blurry because they're farther back than their eyeballs or their nose right and so you can't just find the edges of their hair and then blur everything behind it so, you, the, so the depth thing does give them an advantage but when they showed that sort of expansion like how many depth levels is it finding and really how much depth can you find from two cameras that are within millimeters of each other right it, it's it's a challenging problem 
I always wonder if like it could have gone 3ds style and had the two cameras be separated more widely to get better uh, depth on it. But honestly, the only like fake it till you make it, sure. But eventually, you should make it, which is do it for real with actual light. <laughs> yeah, well, because the problem is the the way they're doing. So you know the the general principle here of find the subject, keep that in focus, and then the rest of the background apply you know a basic blur image filter too that's that that approach has been around for a while and and the new thing they're doing as you said like they're they're, they've made advancements here in finding the subject like defining the edges of the subject defining the area that will be sharp and then blurring everything else like that part they've made advances on but this whole technique of take a regular photo that doesn't have good background blur because it doesn't have shallow depth of field in practice and then blur the parts that are supposed to be blurred in software. The whole problem with this approach is that the resulting picture, like that's not how real background blur looks. If you do that technique, even if you do that technique perfectly, even if you perfectly define which exact pixels in the frame are supposed to be sharp and which ones are supposed to have the blur effect applied to them, it still doesn't look right because that isn't how that actually looks in practice. Like the 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 regular like image blur effect is not producing the same look you get from the out-of-focus areas in a shallow depth of field photo. So it never looks right. And I agree. I think the photos they picked, I, they didn't really do themselves a lot of favors there. I don't think those are very good examples. And if that's the best they could come up with, that might not be a good sign for, for the, the usefulness of this feature or the, or the, the overall quality of this feature. Um, the one thing it did show off is I thought it did show, like, you could see, like, their cheekbones were in focus, but their ears were a little bit out of focus. That showed the, the hey, we're using depth. We're not just doing edge detection because you couldn't do that with, it, with the filters. They actually weren't using depth properly. Like, if you actually look, if you see, like, you can, you can look at certain areas of some of the photos and it's like, you know, you know this, because, you know, in, in real photography, there is, there's a plane of, of what is in focus. And that plane is not actually perfectly flat. It's actually, you know, curved, but because that's optics and physics. But anyway, there is a plane of what's in focus. So generally speaking, it's, it's close to flat for most purposes. So generally speaking, you know, if, if you are, if somebody has like, you know, two two things on their face like let's say like you know like their their eyelash and their chin like two things that are like the same depth away from the camera the like if one's in focus the other should be in focus and that's and apple's test photos even had flaws like in that kind of logic um it just it didn't and and also i thought one thing i noted on on twitter in the time i thought that the whatever is defined as the subject in focus the edges of that like uh, in the in the in the one that was the portrait of the guy his shoulders like or his ears like they they should have been in focus based on what was being shown and how it was supposed to be like, basically what it was simulating like the edges should have been in focus there and they weren't uh, and so like they they're like i'm not saying like every that average people are going to you know notice that necessarily and be able to nitpick and all these little things like that but i think people do generally notice like hey that doesn't that that looks fake or that looks like a filter you know that, that doesn't look real I, I think that i think people do notice that they should save the uh well i don't know if they maybe they're doing this because we don't know we don't have the thing into shipping later but if they say if they took the picture and saved either the jpeg and the raw plus also save the depth field that would let you say look here's the regular picture you took and if you want you can try this effect but it's basically lossless having to choose at at the time even if you just save the jpeg with the depth field you can still apply it after the fact having to choose at the time you take the picture you could like i fear for people who accidentally put it into that mode and don't quite understand where all the pictures are all messed up like they try to take a picture of a landscape with that thing on and it goes haywire it would be much better if they just took 
the best pictures they can honestly from the optics and sensors they have and if you want to be fancy and save a bunch of depth fields another another set of channels and have a fancy app that can apply them selectively and maybe it'll make some picture look better that's fine yeah i mean this this is a nice little trick you know it's fun people are gonna have fun with it for a little while but the thing is if you have a 56 millimeter f 2.8 lens you probably can get some background blur like you know, not as much as you would on a larger sensor with that, with those specs. But if you just get a subject close to the lens and have a background that's not that close to you, like you can get blur that's real optically. Again, probably not a ton of it, but you can get some. And if they just highlighted that, I think that would have just been a little bit. I don't know. It would. I think it would look better. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I I really think that this is the easiest way. Well. Mm. It was poor choice of words. I really think that having this bokeh-like effect is the best way to make someone that is interested in m- more prosumer-level photography, like I am, and I've, I, I'm getting better at understanding the, the academia behind it, if you will, but if you had told me, you know, like two years ago, oh, you can get this, you know, depth of field effect from your brand new iPhone, it really would have made me think twice about spending you know, $1,500 on a micro four thirds camera and a really nice lens. So I really think they're going in the right direction. Obviously, I agree that that doing this synthetically is definitely cheating. But as we've all been saying, particularly um, Gruber and MG Siegler, we are marching closer and closer toward not necessarily needing a DSLR for most people. And I, I that's a great thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. The, one of the biggest drawbacks, however, to this simulated uh, bokeh is that the way you access it is by going into the camera app and selecting portrait mode, which implies to me that it's been tuned in such a way that it is looking for faces. And I think they said a little bit about this during during the presentation, but it's tuned for faces And I don't know if it's really going to work, at least for now, very well with things that aren't faces. And there are times, like some of the pictures I'm most proud of, some of them don't include faces. So I've put in the chat, and I will put in the show notes, a picture that I took at the beach a year or two ago, which has that background blur. But I don't know how to phrase this. I I deployed it tactically, kind of like you deploy (laughs) Merlin tactically. Um, But there's no faces in this picture. And so... How would that work with this simulated bokeh? Would it work? Like, this is where I think it all starts to fall well on its face. Um, but again, a step in the right direction. I, I appreciated how Phil positioned it during the presentation. I mean, and I, in case I didn't say it earlier, I think Phil was awesome. I think his mm-hmm. he was clearly the highlight of, of the show. He, you know, his... He he really had a lot of good stuff to say. He he delivered it well, um, with with one exception, which we we'll get to uh, about the uh, the headphone thing. Uh, but overall, I like, I like Phil today a lot. Um, and I think the way he set expectations here was good. Like he said right in the right in the keynote that this is not going to replace SLRs, you know, for for pros. Like this is not going to do that. And that's really good to hear. Like it, it's good to keep expectations realistic and to tone tone down the hyperbole and stuff because like. If you set expectations uh, accordingly, then people will be pleased. Like, but if you if you say we're going to kill SLRs for pros or for you know for people who really like shooting real like at real background blur stuff like that, if you say that and then your solution to that is just software blur, like that would be a big disappointment. So they actually did it, you know pretty well. Yeah. Um, 
let's do our fourth sponsor for this evening. Um, this was unsolicited, but it's the right thing to do. And I think we did this last year. Uh, dear friend of the show, Stephen Hackett, um, his eldest son uh, is has been affected with uh, childhood cancer. And for the month of September, it is uh, Childhood Cancer uh, Awareness Month. And so we'll put a link in the show notes to a brief post that Stephen put up on his website, 512pixels.net. And it is a really touching post about what it's like to be the parent of a, ch- of a child with a young child with cancer. Um, and so obviously we always like it if you are a patron of any of our sponsors, but I know I speak for all three of us in saying we would really, really super mega ultra like it if you could scrape together any amount of money to donate to St. Jude's uh, Children's Research Hospital. And there'll be links to all this in the show notes, um, probably in our sponsored by section. And I've donated, uh, Marco's donated. I don't know if John has donated yet, but I know I can, I, I'm speaking for him and saying that if he hasn't, he will. Already did. Oh, there you go. Uh, and this is, even though I am lucky enough or we are lucky enough not to have children with cancer, it's still, a, it's still near and dear to Stephen's heart. And by virtue of it being dear, near and dear to his heart, it's near and dear to ours. So if you could scrape together even just a couple of dollars and, and throw it St. Jude's way, uh, I, I think all three of us would really appreciate it. Absolutely. The reverse sponsor. They're not giving us money. We're giving them money. Yeah, exactly. The reverse sponsor. I like it. So next on the list, uh, Retina HD display. Uh, we've sort of kind of covered this already. Um, there is a wide gamut color. No true tone, though, which I'm disappointed by. I'm lucky that I haven't yet been ruined by seeing a true tone display, or if I have, it's been for seconds. But I was looking forward to getting a true tone device in my new in my uh, new iPhone. And as it turns out, not so much. No room for the uh, light sensor. They need to remove another port. Yeah. I was going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The lightning port is gone. Yeah. Just like that. No, no, they won't Uh, get rid of that because that's actually giving them like lots of income and stuff. No, we'll get rid of like the volume buttons as you said earlier. Microphone because no one talks into their phones anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we have another solution. You can buy a Bluetooth wireless microphone now for $169. Oh, goodness. So, yeah, I was disappointed by that. Um, but the display in general, they also said it was uh, 20% brighter, which is that's, that's cool. So uh, I, I dig it in general, but I am sad that there is no true tone display. And it's not OLED. We're saving that for next year. Yeah, it, it, it did seem like, you know, given given how they usually do things like, all right, well, you know, first we're going to introduce these this cool new advanced thing on one of our devices, then it's going to move to the other ones. Like, the fact that that you had it on the iPad Pro 9.7, and then to not have it on the f- on the following flagship iPhone is is odd. Uh, you know, I I think you're right, John. It probably was just for like sen- like light sensor space reasons, but it, that is it does seem like an odd omission. Also, lead times. I think I imagine lead times. And even though this phone came out after the small iPad Pro, I think this phone was probably developed uh, had a longer lead time in development. And so that's kind of the same reason the 12.5 inch didn't have the the good the quote unquote good or best display, uh, even though it was only out only a little bit before. Like I, I think it just comes down to lead times and the fact that it's so tight in there. So don't worry, it'll be on the 10th anniversary phone, <laughs> unless Fair there's enough. something specific about it in terms of processing and and screen tech that makes it not fit in the thing. But I don't I don't know of any uh, limitation that just makes it not not compatible with a phone size device for the foreseeable future. So I think I expect to see it in the next phone. I agree. Uh, next on the list, uh, audio, not headphone audio, just audio audio. <laughs> and 
uh, Phil said the new iPhone has stereo speakers, which all of us, I think, were expecting, but all of us were kind of fearful, or m- most of us anyway, that there would be two speakers on the bottom of the phone, which would kind of defeat the whole purpose. But oh no, there's a speaker on the top and speaker on the bottom, which I'm actually pretty excited for. I listen to uh, stuff off my iPhone semi-frequently. I listen to podcasts fairly frequently. Occasionally, I'll listen to music if I'm too lazy to go uh, turn on my main amplifier in the family room um, or connect to some other speaker system. I actually very rarely listen to any sort of headphone with with my iPhone. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm really excited to have the stereo speakers because occasionally I watch movies uh, on my iPhone. It doesn't happen often, but enough that I'm excited about it. And two times the volume? Heck yes. I am all in on that. Really excited. Genuine. I'm not trying to be snarky. I am genuinely excited for this. No, that's because, like, I mean, I also, I use my iPhone speaker all the time, usually for listening to podcasts. And to have, uh, and, you know, sometimes like YouTube videos too, and, like, to have any extra volume there, especially in the podcast use case, is going to be used a lot. People are going to love that. And I think, you know, it's the whole thing with like, you know, worrying about it being two on one side or whatever. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, this, you're not going to get a lot of stereo separation there. And like the point of adding more speakers on a little phone like this, the point is not stereo separation. It is not positional accuracy. It is not like audiophile quality here. I say this as an audiophile. It is not for this purpose. <laughs> uh, the main reason wa- that, it's, that, that we would want it and would benefit from it is volume and additional directionality. So like, and if you look at the iPad line, you know, the, the iPads for years had like that, that one dumb speaker on, on the bottom, like basically, you know, like, as if they were a giant iPhone, just like having one like right in the corner there. And then in the iPad Pro uh, generation this last year, they, they basically made it so that there's a speaker on all four corners. And they, they treat it as like two with like one being the woofer and everything. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The result of this is that iPad speakers now are so good that like, you know, compared to what they were before having like just the one on one side, they are way louder at max volume, also way clearer, just way higher sound quality you get by just having having four drivers working together to to produce one set of sound basically you can you can drive them a little bit less harshly and have a little less distortion and then you have you have them firing now in two directions, and so that helps fill a room or a space better and more effectively or even just like around a, around a table or around a chair like it's it's better to have it coming out of you know, more sides than just in you know, one direction off to the side. On the phone, it's going to be a little bit different because what they did was they, they have the speaker on the bottom in the same place it always was. And the second speaker, they've basically, it seems like they've just kind of amped up the earpiece speaker where people's phone call voice comes out like that up top, the earpiece oh, that speaker. Right? That is the second speaker. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's there's no like top grill. Like that, the, the second speaker is a louder amped up earpiece speaker so what remains to be seen basically you know what you're going to have if, if you if you're holding the phone with the in landscape view with the home button on the right the way you'd probably watch a youtube video or a movie you basically have like one speaker that's where the old one always was coming out into your right hand and the second speaker then is pointing towards you from like your left thumb so you, the sound is coming out at two different angles and it's coming out from two probably different sounding speakers because they're not only pointing different directions, but they have different types of enclosures and and ports around them to let the air in and out. So it's probably going to sound weird, uh, like if you try to treat it like sideways like that. I don't know. I I I really 
am interested to see how this is in practice. Uh, where it will be great is things like podcasts and music where you're like laying the phone down on a table or maybe like in your car's cup holder is a very popular one. Things like that where like you're just putting the phone down somewhere and you just want volume. <laughs> your car's cup holder? I don't understand how you people like Marco with the audiophile and just anyone in general can tolerate the sound coming out of a phone, even for podcasts. It's for even podcasts. You just, I can't I can't even even for podcasts, I can't even understand what they're saying. Cup holder in a car? Have you ever used Overcast, man? I fixed this problem. Is the car not running? <laughs> Maybe you have better, maybe in your electric car with no internal combustion engine or your BMW with better sound. My iPhone playing audio in my, or my running car. It's like, not me. It's I hear from my customers who people do this because. Oh, yeah, no, I, I know people do this. Because I'm just saying, like, lots of cars don't have good audio uh, input options. I know, but it just sounds so terrible, so incredibly terrible. And I think, I mean, the iPad Pro, the, the small iPad Pro with the four speakers, huge upgrade in sound and yet still yeah. awful, still awful. And so the phone, I, I totally applaud the extra volume. I think that's great. Anything you can give to give you more volume with less distortion so you have a chance of understanding anything, all of this is great. But I still think the world's worst $5 earbuds are better than playing that damn phone on a counter. And I don't understand how the two of you with your house full of Bluetooth speakers choose to take your phone and <laughs> chuck it on your kitchen counter instead of just Bluetoothing to a speaker. You're because, right there. Like, as we'll get to, Bluetooth sucks. That's why I have a house full of Bluetooth speakers and I hardly ever use them because they're a pain in the butt. To, to each to each his own improvements in sound quality are good i'm glad that i'm glad the two speakers aren't next to each other although it does not give them a convenient excuse for why the headphone port is gone because guess what they didn't replace it with two speakers down there the other one is up on the top and the one facing towards you i think that's a benefit because everyone has done i think the uh the iphone cup where you cup yep. your hand to aim aim the, the sound at you and are shocked by what a difference that makes having one actually pointed at you it's got to be a big upgrade so all, all thumbs up on this like there's not room in this phone to put giant empty cavities like there is in the, the ipad pros right so thumbs up on making it better but uh i i still don't quite understand maybe it's because i'm getting old and my hearing's going bad but I, I i feel like it's not like unlistenable because it's terrible because it is terrible but like unlistenable and that like i can't even understand what people are saying you know i have a feature in overcast that minimizes the distortion when you're using the speaker i've actually profiled this and measured it if i if i ever willingly <laughs> listened yes i know i've used that feature just to see if it made it better and it does make it a little bit better but it still sounds like garbage so <laughs> i put i put my earbuds in <laughs> That's That's the speaker is the size of like a pencil eraser not even it's it's terrible yeah. well and that, like i i actually have very low expectations for the quality that i'm going to get out of the earpiece speaker just because like it, there's no room there for like porting or shaping the sound at all or having like a nice wide uh, output port it's just like it's just a little slit like the, so it's that's yeah, gonna be maybe they do the same thing with like, like you're saying with the ipad like where they where they just send certain frequency cutoffs to the that like use one as a tweeter or something who knows i mean the, the biggest thing is volume like that's you're right like double the volume that's 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 the headline feature sorely needed everybody loves it well, thumbs up yeah all right, so next on the list, we've got four more. Oh, my next God. On the list, How long is the show going to be? Yep. Next on the list, uh, Apple was courageous, oh. and they they dropped the headphone port. John, can you explain to us why <laughs> using the word courage was a Wait, before before we get here, here, can we just marvel at the skill of Apple PR during this transition? of leaking this to to the press like six months ago so that way 
we are now over two hours into our podcast talking about the new iPhone event before we even really talked about the headphone jack removal. I don't know if Apple PR leaked it that early. I, I think the parts leak leaked before Apple PR did. Oh, uh, yeah. I think Apple PR leaked to major publications. You know, parts leak all the time. But, like, you had, like, the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg, like, you know, major public publications publishing as fact that the next iPhone was going to have the same exterior case design and lose the headphone jack. So you seed all the like bad that. news early. So then by the time it actually comes around... Now it's like it's like old news. It's like no one's like well, pe- some people are talking about it, but like most of the analysis and reviews of this thing are now just like, oh yeah, yeah, old, you know. Well, I, as you, about as last you know, show. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's such genius, such genius. Well, I, I don't, I don't attribute it to the genius of PR because I totally don't think it's a PR thing. I think it is it completely like if you want to attribute the 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 cleverness of doing this, attribute it to the people who made the decision of what's going to be in the product, and that's not PR. PR doesn't decide. PR takes the product that's there, and you know, and I know marketing has more of an influence in Apple's products and other companies, but in general, the clever thing was to decide that this phone and not the the next year's eight is going to be the one where they drop the head of important once they made that decision it was inevitable that it would leak early and it was inevitable that everything would come out and uh, and then maybe you can credit pr later for uh confirming to the big publications that yes this really is true to get that all out of the way but anyway we talked about that all on the last show this show as jason snell put it in a six colors post the number i think it was the number one thing that he wanted to learn from this event is apple please tell me why you remove this port like a justification we've all talked about many possible justifications now apple had its its time on stage to tell us in its own words why they did this and the more i've been thinking about it the more i'm kind of glad that they didn't that they didn't go small like for example the stereo speakers pretend they they had added a second speaker but it was right next to the other one next to that little grill that actually isn't a grill in front of anything right if they had actually done that it might have been easy for them to say, uh, you know, we removed the headphone jack. And you might be wondering why. Well, once we removed it, we had room for the second speaker, and it's twice as loud. Isn't that a great idea? Like, they didn't think small. They didn't say, let me just look at this phys- the physical design of this phone, tell you what is in the space where the headphone jack used to be, because there's something there. It's not an empty space. If you look at the little picture they showed, you know, you could see there's not this big place that holds the headphone jack. So there is something there. And they could have said, we didn't have the headphone jack, kind of like, many people did with the macbook one we don't have the second usb port because look at the thing that's there and if there's not a millimeter to spare i don't have a, a square to spare right they didn't say that they said they led with the number one thing of courage like they, they took the high road which is basically saying look we get rid of crap all the time we get rid of things that are old we make buttons not move uh it's it's the reason we say courage is because we know people are going to be angry about it and it takes someone with the guts to drop legacy serial ports or the floppy drive or optical drives from desktop computers that are gigantic um we do that despite the fact that we know there will be backlash because we think it's the right thing to do in terms of driving progress and we're willing to take the you know the yelling which isn't really a justification it's more of an explanation why does apple do things that make us mad because they think it's right and they're willing to take the heat and the more I think about it, the more I say that that is the if in in the absence of any actual concrete, really compelling explanation, like it makes our phones, you know, now our phones don't break or something like fantastical or whatever. That is the real honest and only explanation is that this is a thing that Apple does because they think it's the right thing to do and come at me haters. <laughs> like that's what they, that's what they basically said, which I find the more I think about it, more satisfying than specific reasons that i could nitpick at because this is not a specific reason it is merely an explanation and i say yep that's why they do it 
Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at like all the reasons that we've all been arguing about all summer about why this is good or bad or justified or unjustified, the whole summer we kept saying, let's wait and see what Apple says on stage because let's see what their reason is. And it is disappointing to basically hear their reason is we felt like it. <laughs> it's not we felt like it. like they did they did say that like they feel like it's it's moving progress forward like but, the, the, but that doesn't again, mean anything if you were looking if you were looking for a justification there is nothing that they, because we've gone through all the reasons there's nothing that they could say that is compelling enough to like there's a trade-off like we all know about the inconvenience and problems what is balancing that on the other side there is no specific feature or attribute of this phone and there could never be any specific feature or attribute of this phone that would explain that adequately the only explanation is the actual explanation which is they do things like this to sort of you know push the human race forward to quote from their ads and they know people are mad about it and are going to be mad justifiably, not like unjustifiably. Like they know there are reasons to get mad about it. Why does Apple do these things? Because them I mean, encourage is a little bit overblown, but because they're willing to take the heat for that. They're willing to pro- plow bravely forward, allow people to be legitimately angry at them for legitimate inconveniences because they believe they will come out the other side eventually. They came out the other side of all the other ones. They're going to come out the other side of this. And you can, we, as we did, argue about is it too soon? Is it too late? Like, did they get rid of the floppy too soon or too late? Or was it exactly the right time? Maybe they were a little bit early on the floppy. Did we come out the other side of that? Yes, we did. Time was on their side. A lot of our determination 10 years from now about this, did they go too early, too late? Or was it a mistake? Because they could backpedal, like the glass front and back phone. Were they too early, too late? Or was that not a great idea? Turns out, probably not a great idea with the current formulation of glass so they didn't do that again they're going to try it again maybe with the with the iphone 8 or whatever next year so maybe they'll come back to it but anyway we'll have to be able to make those determinations in hindsight but their their explanation i'm like i said i it makes sense to me and i feel like it's the only thing they could possibly say and it's better than them trying to shuck and jive and dance and try to like convince you because they're not going to convince you it is going to be inconvenient and their main point was we are willing to take we are willing to take your anger bring it to us and we will bring it to them and people will bring it to them and hey they put the adapter in the box so they basically they did basically everything they can short of not doing this and i totally believe this is something that would have to happen eventually infinite time scale blah 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 this is when they've chosen to do it they're willing to take the heat i think they'll mostly be okay yeah yeah i mean I agree that they did this in the best way they could. If they're going to remove the port, you know, good job including the adapter in the box and good job making additional adapters $9. It'd be nice if you if the adapter was also a charge-through adapter because people do that a lot. But, okay, we'll take what we can get for now. Third parties will sell that, I guarantee it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, I mean, it was timing-wise, like, if they did this without the AirPods, which we'll get to in a little bit, I think it would also be a little bit weaker so i mean again the airpods are a wild card we don't know how well they work and what they're gonna be like and we'll talk about them in a little bit but i think everything is in place for for this to be fairly judged in hindsight five years from now i guess we'll all just wait for the usa today stories to come out about it and the complaints and or whatever but as you said the tech press already went through this the mainstream press is going to have a big thing about it um it's too late if if this turns out to be a colossal mistake. It's too late for them to fix it on next year's phone by this point, which is kind of sad. Um, 
kind of like it was too late for them to fix it on the 4s right but when the 5 came out no glass on both sides uh but i i think they'll mostly be okay and if anything i think they spent more time trying to justify it than they needed to like they should they could have just done who is it tom brokaw or dan rather who signed off his last broadcast with the word courage they could have just done that and then just moved uh, on but uh the whole, yeah the, the courage thing that was tone deaf i mean i'm not tone deaf like there there's some there's something to it like i said they they are in in the abstract, when talking about companies, why do some companies do things and other ones don't? It, it does come down to, I don't know, boldness. It's, 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 it is courage in you know in the context of companies making decisions about their products. Like if that is your frame of reference, within that frame there are moves that are more courageous, courageous and less courageous. And Apple has historically been a company that's willing to do the more courageous things, even if it falls on its face sometimes. That's the defining characteristic of Apple as a company. And so if you don't want to, it's not the same as like real courage, real life. No, it's not. It's a bunch of companies picking pro- features for their products. But I'm, I'm hard pressed to find a better word. Again, the genius of Apple PR, there is nothing really left for me to say about the headphone jack removal at this point. I, I, you know, we waited for there to be a reason. There wasn't one. None of the reasons they gave, with the exception of courage, uh, were reasons that made this reasons that you had to remove the port to achieve like they could have launched airpods they could have boosted you know they could have promoted lightning headphones and launched some of their own lightning earpods they could have done all those things without removing the headphone port like removing the headphone port was not a necessity for any of those advances um so they never so the courageous part was really just saying all right well i guess we're gonna anger everybody here uh and to, to do something that serves a few of our goals and doesn't really serve any of yours. Well, but it, ser- it serves. It's just like the floppy disk, though. Like, what? What did it? Getting rid of a floppy disk help users? Or I was like, well, we think we should. You should use different removable. Well, what different removable media? There's not any good different removable media. Zip disks are crappy, and USB keys are really slow and small and dingy. Well, we think in the future you won't miss the floppy disk because other stuff will eventually replace it. But yeah, but what about now? I miss my floppy disk now. Well, they're doing the exact same thing with the audio part. Again, this doesn't justify it doing it this instant, but they're saying like, well, but what do I do for my headphones? Oh, well, digital audio interface on Lightning. Blah. Blah, blah, never mind the half of things they should plug into there like i'm assuming their earbuds are not using digital audio because there's no DAC inside their little earpods right anyway um but they're saying the airpods are their thing like oh you know we we think there's a better way for you to hear sound in your ears that come out of your phone than plugging in with this really old port and they're offering an actual concrete product not just like speculatively like here are the airpods maybe the airpods suck and this and that will definitely make it the wrong time to have done this because people want to plug their things in but on the other hand they do have they do have answers why remove it It makes more room in the phone and we think there's better ways for you to listen to audio um and i you know if the airpods end up being really good and don't have any of the downsides of bluetooth that don't cut out on you and the sound quality is pretty good and they magically connect everything and everything syncs up whatever I think that probably will be a better way to listen to audio from your phone than having a string going from your pocket up to your ear to get snagged on things. Oh, it'll be great for the people who can who are willing to spend one hundred and sixty dollars to buy those earpods who don't lose them, who they who they are charged up for, and who can actually wear them. Like one of the problems I have is like Apple is replacing this port that I can use any headphone I want with with a with a new with you know allegedly you know all these better things. One of the major ones of which is advanced earbuds. Well, I can't wear earbuds because of whatever is wrong with my ears that makes them hurt like hell. Like you got mutineers, yeah. I know, I know, I know a lot of people have mutineers, but you, you have the adapter. Like it's not like you don't have any solution. Yes, but what I'm saying is like there's lots of people like that. That old analog port. One of the things that's great about it 
is that it is universal. It, it satisfies so many different people's needs and desires, and it is so broad and what it, and what it enables for so many different use cases. And Apple is replacing it with something that's actually extremely narrow. I think I need to be the voice of reason on this one. Um, I I don't see why this is such a big problem, given that they're including the adapter in the box. And BuzzFeed had a really great article that actually Marco had sent to us uh, privately before we recorded, where they talked to several different Apple employees and executives. And they said, and so Dan, is it Riccio or Riccio? Said, um, this is a quote, it was holding us back from a number of things we wanted to put into the iPhone. It was fighting for space with camera technologies and processors and battery life. And frankly, when there's a better modern solution available, it's crazy to keep it around. Um, I think that that's legitimately what they thought. I, like like one of you was saying earlier, I don't think this was nefarious. I don't think this was ill-intentioned. They genuinely just wanted the space in there. And one of the things we haven't talked about yet is that the battery life in, in the 7 is, I would say, considerably better than the successes that it replaces. Some of that is because of a much better uh, central processor, which, again, we'll talk about sometime between now and tomorrow when we finally stop. <laughs> but... Um, but some of that is also, I believe, because of a bigger battery. And let's suppose the battery is exactly the same size for the sake of discussion. There's a different placed haptic engine that presumably is a little larger. There's things taking up space in this camera, in this camera, in this phone. And I am more than willing to give up a headphone port that I personally don't use very often at all in order to get those advancements. And the thing that really bothers me that I truly don't understand is the entire internet getting their junk on a wad because they say Bluetooth sucks. I use a really shitty pair of Bluetooth headphones constantly. I use them 40 hours a week at work. I don't these headphones are like 20 bucks brand new that will put a link in the show notes i don't have any problem with them i use them for a day or two and then i charge them overnight i don't find any latency issues whenever i if i'm watching a video as long as i'm on the mac if i'm watching a video using either safari or any of the like QuickTime, any of the media players that are built into the Mac, no problems with latency. They sound just fine for a regular person. To Marco, I am not saying they would sound good enough. To me, they sound just fine. He listens to his phone on his counter. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> I don't listen to music like that. Well, either way, either way, either way. The point is. I don't have any issues with disconnections, and if I do, it's very rare, and it's only when I haven't been using them for the last 20 minutes and they've like timed themselves out and gone to sleep. I'm not saying these problems don't exist from other people, but golly, I don't understand why I'm the special friggin' snowflake of Bluetooth and why... I am the only one that doesn't have this problem. You're not using it in a challenging situation. Like Bluetooth has a bunch of things that it's supposed to do, and it does a whole bunch of them really badly. Uh, pairing quickly, uh, it depends on your device, and my car doesn't do a good job. Oh, sharing, that's a disaster. Sharing a device between multiple things, also a disaster. If you only ever have it paired with one thing that you never move it away from, and it sits yep. in one place, like... But but you're not you're not challenging it. Like the job of Bluetooth is not just to fulfill that one use case you have. The job of Bluetooth is to be this wireless low power tech. And I would say power wise, I'm assuming Apple's one uses less power than Bluetooth too. Uh, in theory, because we haven't tried this yet, Apple solution is technically better than Bluetooth because 
it fixes the things that are clunky and annoying about Bluetooth, and I assume it also uses less energy. So, that, I mean, that's why, like, I, I tweeted another thing. I'm happy to see Apple moving beyond Bluetooth. They keep waiting and doing these different Bluetooth standards, and it's just it's just annoying from users. We have, we have one little shared speaker in our bedroom that my wife uses sometimes from Bluetooth, and I use sometimes from Bluetooth. And I hate the fact that when I go to try to play from it, I can't just select it because, oh, now it's paired with my wife's phone, and I have to go and manually reconnect it to my phone, right, uh, by going through a series of screens. Their attempt to solve this with this little magic case that you open up the lid on and it brings up a thing. Who knows if that works? But there's, there is a real problem they're trying to address. Just because your use case doesn't run into any of those problems doesn't mean that Bluetooth can't be bettered. And I think because Bluetooth is such a common complaint, like it's not terrible. It's better than nothing. It's good for the wireless things we use it for. I do use Bluetooth speakers. It's nice. But everyone who uses it a lot and uses all the different cases sees the weak spots and so is looking for usually the next version of Bluetooth that's going to fix all this. Uh, but in the end, eventually, we're just willing to throw ourselves at the mercies of Apple's proprietary thing. It's kind of like I said before about the the little RF dongles for Logitech mice. Who knows what tech they're using there, but the batteries last forever, and I never have any problems with it, and I'm kind of glad they're not Bluetooth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my main concern with, with, with things like this, the reason why I, I resist these things and I, and I complain about these things when they happen... It's very similar between you know the the headphone jack removal moving to Bluetooth, and the, the and buttons on trackpads and home buttons moving to 3D touch vibration motors whatever else. The main reason I, I complain about this kind of stuff is that the things that were there before the simple old established ways of doing things headphone jacks buttons those things have incredible advantages in simplicity and reliability and just. And I mean simplicity, not just like electrically or mechanically, but like using them. You know, there's there's great simplicity there. And there are so many cases in technology these days where we take something that is incredibly simple, that has worked forever, like a button, and we say, you know what? We have a great solution to this problem. This problem, by the way, that we just invented, that we're now calling it a problem, and we're now saying it's inevitable these things are going away, even though that was not necessarily the case before. But now we're going to solve this problem. Everything in air quotes. I can't make enough air quotes for this whole discussion. Everything in air quotes here. We're going to solve this problem of this old thing that works just fine by making a new thing that is better but more complicated. And we were saying it's better, and because in some ways it is better. In some ways, it's more advanced. Maybe it's wireless. Maybe it allows software control where there wasn't software control before. Whatever the case, that's 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 what's so compelling about these things. They are better in many big ways, but they also get worse in a number of big ways that we tend to gloss over or minimize. Like oh. Yeah, you can't just plug anything in anymore. Now you got to do this pairing dance, or you can't actually. This button is never going to ever feel like a button again. There might be now software introduced delays into when this button feels like a button. Like there's like <laughs> we we do this to so many things in, in technology, and it you know in general we do get ourselves ahead and we do make progress. I think on the whole, but I do think it's worth evaluating these things very critically with lots of scrutiny these decisions we make before we say yes it is definitely better yes we need to get rid of this thing yes we need to replace this thing that has worked fine for 100 years but if you're just applying the blanket where every time is any change like that like you, you're just always resistant like you you're not good at identifying which ones are the ones like i said like when i was speculating about the non-moving track matter which one which of these ones will you look back on 10 years and say i can't believe i ever used the mechanical one right that the mechanical one fierce barbaric and broken and, and which of the ones are you going to say, in hindsight, it was a terrible mistake to 
move all these things to be solid state or whatever, you know, and it should have, you know, like the car interior, you need a certain number of knobs. Like if every time they do that move, your, your instinct is always to say, this is a mistake and you're making things worse, then you're probably not, you know, like the, the, the task is to fit, to discern, to, to look back at your history of judging these things and see when was I right? When was I wrong? And how can I apply that to new things that are like this that are presented for me? Will this be something that in hindsight I will look at and say it's a no-brainer? Like, I think we all agree the floppy drive was. Or will it be something that we look back on and say that was a terrible mistake, like so many things in car interiors in the 80s and 90s uh, that ended up to be terrible ideas? They said, you know what, let's let's go back to, to uh, the old idea because this new one turned out to be bad. And that's the challenge of, of figuring out technology. Now, the headphone port, I feel like because it is a port and because we have so much past experience with ports, um, it, it's a it's... Um, there is something on the side to say this is something we should get rid of there's also something on the other side because unlike all the other parts we talked about this is so old and so common it's way more common than the serial printer port that was expunged from max or whatever right um so it, it, it's difficult to judge but i i don't know if this is going to end up being a mistake all i can say is that their presentation of it was i think honest and direct and like casey said they have reasons none of those reasons justify it in the end I think the most important thing is that Apple thinks there's a better way to get audio out of your phones. And they may be wrong because none of us have tried their new solutions, but we'll, you know, the public will decide in many years if Apple's things have a reputation. If, even if Apple sticks to its guns, the reputation is, oh, I was getting an iPhone, but just, you know, I like iPhones, but just be aware that they're annoying to use with audio. That will not be a success for Apple if, that, if that's what everyone says about iPhones in five years. But in five years, if no one mentions this and the headphone part is gone from all phones, I think you have to put a, a notch in the, the wind column for Apple on it and say people are cranky. There was massive inconvenience, just like there was with all the other transitions, and we got through it. Right now, I'm going to give them better than 50% chance that they're going to pull this off. Oh, I think they, they are definitely going to pull this off because no one else is making iPhones for people to buy instead. Like, I mean, like, do you think Android phones, Android phones will drop the headphone port? That's what I'm saying. Pull it off as in, like, eventually nobody ships floppies with their PCs anymore. Although, I, I shouldn't say that because I'm sure there's some PC you can buy with a floppy drive. But anyway. I think, I'm pretty sure you could still pay Dell, like, 30 bucks to put a floppy drive in your, in right. your new tower. 30 bucks? Boy, that's too much. Maybe no one's buying them anymore. This is their specialty yeah. item now. But but anyway, like, if they will succeed if it if this slowly fades from all products just like floppy drives did. I mean, it it will just because they well, it it at least fade from phones because they've you know they've now set the standard. Well, will it fade from MacBooks and iPads too? I don't know. I think it certainly says something that the MacBook has only one other port, and that yet they included a headphone port. They, but they that MacBook it is Im- like really old. <laughs> <laughs> they true. deemed that important enough for that. No, I mean, I I guess I'm done arguing with this, but I I just. I I disagree with the fundamental premise that this port was go was doomed period and had to be replaced. I disagree with the time that it had to be replaced now. I don't think that's courage. I think that's that's other factors, that's other attributes, but I wouldn't call that courage. And uh and I and I I'm sad that is is it if it if it's not courage is it caution? What word would you just it's not caution. Um it's not it's not uh timidness. It's not it's maybe not, hubris. Well, yeah, but like hubris would be like, maybe hubris would say, we believe there's a better way. Like to believe that you have such a better way and actually you're mistaken. You you really believe you have a better way than this headphone port that has proven itself over the line. I think that's a reasonable word to use. But hubris tends to go 
hand in hand with courage and that to, to, to really believe you have this better way and to, you know, I mean, there's, there's a fine line between courage and stupidity, I guess. And hubris is where that line is drawn, I suppose. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, the reality is, again, they're going to be fine. And we are going to stop. We're, we're just all going to accept this as normal and stop talking about it in like a week. It's going to be fine. But I do think we've lost something here. And I, and I don't think this was necessarily the right decision. I, I think this was a decision made that's more in Apple's interest than its customers' interest. It's making the product worse for Apple's interests. Oh, I disagree. So I, I understand that there are a lot of people that are not living the, the fancy Bluetooth lifestyle. Erin, in her car, does not have a Bluetooth connection. I get that. But... At some point, we have to say enough is enough. This is the future. And they, Apple, if we believe them, if we take them at face value, they have fixed all of the common complaints about Bluetooth or they were never a problem in the first damn place. With a whole bunch of asterisks. I, I don't think so. So look at the people, the, look at the things everyone complains and moans about when it comes to Bluetooth. Oh, you have to charge it. Oh, now I have to worry about charging because, oh, life is so difficult and I have to worry about charging. Oh, well, look at, the, you get three hours of charge on the uh, AirPods for 15 minutes. Like, I could go and use the restroom in more time than it takes for these things to charge and give me three hours of charge. How long are you spending in the restroom? I, I'm being facetious, but my point is... <laughs> Does that like include a shower? He dropped his phone on the toilet. He had to fish it out. <laughs> okay, well, let's say, okay, I could jump in the shower. I was, thinking about it, I, I was thinking about it at work. Like, the point is, you can, do, you can go and talk to a friend at work in 15 minutes and next thing you know, your your earbud, your air AirPods are charged. So I don't believe. And if you find that charging is that freaking difficult, oh come on, I don't see why that's a problem at all. And you know, so uh, pairing that has been fixed with the AirPods. And if it's fixed with the AirPods and fixed with all these Beat headphones, Beats headphones. It, you have to assume that this is going to trickle down to other devices and other manufacturers, probably through an MFI program. It will probably be a common thing. Oh, just like the battery case trickled down? All the fancy integration that has with the phone that other battery cases can't do? Uh, yeah, but I don't view that as an Apple to Apple's comparison at all. Oh, I think it's I think it's very much so. I, I think Apple is very is very much okay with making uh, you know, making standards and things, and 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 extending things that its own products get special treatment in the system and get and get get uh, more capabilities or better capabilities than what third party stuff can do. I I would not at all expect Apple to share the abilities of of the this new W one Bluetooth chipset that's in these things and and the all the various software integrations with like pairing it with the quick little window and syncing your pair progress between all your different devices i would never expect that to come to anything else that is not an apple branded headphone i don't know about that i I give that a reasonable chance that they'll do that just because i mean obviously they'll they'll charge you for it they'll make money off it it'll be more than just license fee because this is an apple designed chip that you'll probably have to license from them but i don't i mean i don't think it's likely because that tends not to be the thing but i think it's within the realm of possibility because there are a lot of again if this if this pairing thing works we're just assuming it does but if it really is as good as they say it's kind of in apple's interest to have as many products as possible yep that all only work with their thing so i'm i'm gonna wait and see on that one um it really just depends on how much money they think there is or should they even bother because like yeah there's an accessory market for it but we shouldn't bother because bluetooth fills that need but 
if there's a lot of interest and it doesn't cost them a lot of money to license these chips, you know, we'll see. The earbuds aren't even shipping yet, so who knows what the maybe the limitation is the new W1 chip or whatever. So it could be that W1 isn't licensed, but the W5 is. But it, it all depends on how successful this is and how successful the AirPods are and how successful Apple is at convincing people that they really do have a better way for you to get audio out of your phone than to plug it into the headphone port. Yep. So they've they've done batteries and charging as well as you possibly can in the year of 2016. They've done pairing from everything we've been told and taking them at face value as well as you can in 2016. Importantly, because you were right in calling me out on my my love of my Bluetooth headphones at work, to be fair, I never ever pair those things with anything else. And it's a friggin' nightmare if I go to do that. But with the AirPods, that's been fixed. And apparently it's easy as pie and uses iCloud, which is really scary. It, as soon as you pair with any of your devices, like freaking magic, all of your vi- devices are paired. So if we believe that iCloud is magical. So that's been fixed. The, the switching has been fixed. The pairing has been fixed. I kid you not, I don't ever see latency on my really crappy $20 Bluetooth headphones as long as I'm not in Chrome. If I'm in Chrome, it's latency city. I'll be the first to tell you. But on Safari, on QuickTime, on, on Preview, on on quick look, anything else, it's fine. I never get disconnected because my arm is in the way. I can walk like 20, 30 feet away. I'm still connected. I can still listen to music or podcasts or what have you. I don't see how latency is an issue. I don't see how any of this is an issue. And okay, the one thing you can come back to and say is, well, what we had was fine. Okay. I guess it was fine. And if you want to continue to have that thing that was fine, use the freaking adapter. But in the end of the day, Apple wanted to make a phone that was the same size. That was a design constraint for better or worse. And I'm getting my I'm getting dragged over the coals in the chat because oh, we could have just made it bigger and added space for the for the headphone port. Sure. They could have, but for better or worse, good, right, or bad, wrong, or indifferent, doesn't matter. The point of the matter is they wanted to keep the thing the same size. And in order to do that and make the improvements they wanted, they had to ditch the headphone port. It says it in this BuzzFeed article. They had to do it. And uh, so... You're going to the MacBook One argument again. It I actually think this is the kind of doesn't say that, by the way. It shouldn't, shouldn't have gone. Like, <laughs> they, they didn't have to. Like, they could have made room. They There was room in there. They they could have gotten room out of it somehow. They did it with all the other phones. They could do it again. That's I Like, maybe they said that in a BuzzFeed article, but on stage, they shied away from that. Because, like I said, there is something where the headphone port was, and that something is essential. If you were to cut it out with an X-Acto knife, the phone will not function anymore. But... That's, again, true with the MacBook One. If you had designed it from the beginning, as they did with the 6S and the 6, you can find room for it, surprisingly. That's not that's not the whole thing. I think one of the the angles on it that they mentioned in passing that we haven't really talked about too much is the idea that it's a unitasker, that that port only serves one purpose as opposed to the multitasking lightning port that can do all sorts of different things. That's There's a plus and minus there in that multipurpose means like, oh, but what if we want to charge at the same time? It's multipurpose and it's just one port. Maybe they should have three lightning ports in the bottom and then they'll solve this problem, right? But... uh you know, there there are other there are other reasons to think that like you know if you don't believe like that this thing was inevitably doomed, it's hard to let go of something that's been around for so long because it's so compatible and it's so ubiquitous. Uh, but really, in the grand scheme of things, holes in computers that only perform one function and that function never changes over the years 
that don't have a good life. Like, you know, we're, we want ports to do multiple things. Hell, at this point, we have a port that, like, does power and runs monitors, and you can run Ethernet over all in the same port. Obviously, if you just have one of those ports, it's crappy. But, <laughs> like, uh, there, there are so many trends moving that direction. There's also minuses for wires that that I feel personally when I have my thing plugged in uh, and there's a wire snaking from my arm to my thing, I do get it caught on things. And yep, we've all had the thing where your pods get yanked out of your ears, and I am instantly infuriated by that sensation. Yep. I, I hate it, and that's why I've been looking into these wireless things. Like, I'm not saying this justifies it, but there is there is another side. And everything that I've mentioned does not benefit Apple, except for the part where I pay them 160 bucks for the little ear pods. Um, but there are consumer benefits on the other side of it. So at this point, I'm still willing to give Apple the benefit of the doubt, which is why I'm willing to even try this phone out if i try the phone out and it turns out their wireless solution is crap and i miss my headphone part i'll be the first to say it but i'm i'm right now i'm I'm willing to give it a go all right let's move on (laughs) performance was the last major category they had where they talked about the a10 um which is the new chip it is four core uh there is there are two high-performance cores, which are 40% faster than the outgoing A9, and two high-efficiency cores, which run at 20% of the power of the other two cores. And that's a really interesting and really clever way of trying to squeeze a little more juice, or a little more runtime, I should say, out of these phones. And it reminds me a lot to Channel Neutral. It reminds me a lot of the... Um, was it the North Star that, that was the first to shut down cylinders if you didn't need a bunch of power as you were like driving on the highway, for example, and just maintaining your speed? So say you had, the, <clears throat> say you had this humongous V8 in your Cadillac, the thing would just shut down half of the V8 uh, in order to save yourself a little gas. Maybe it wasn't the North Star, maybe it was a different one, but that, that same idea happened uh, all over the place and still goes on from time to time. No, no, it doesn't go on from time to time. It is everywhere. Cylinder deactivation is like a standard feature of every car with an engine that's too big for it nowadays. Yep, exactly. But sounds like it's really good. The uh, performance improvements are are impressive as always. Um, the GPU, apparently six core, 50% faster than what's in the A9, three times what's in the, the A8 that's in the, the six models. And most importantly to me, apparently we've found plenty of other things to talk about this episode, but most importantly to me, they said you will get two hours more than a 6S when you're using the 7, roughly, and one hour more on a 7 Plus than you got on the 6S Plus. So we are actually seeing an increase in battery life, even without making the device bigger, which I am super on board with. I am genuinely stoked about this. And in fact... I was really debating going Plus Club this year because of that that two-camera system like we were talking about earlier, and also because of the improved battery life. And granted, I would still get a lot more battery life if I went Plus Club with the 7, but the fact that I'm what I, I feel like I'm on the ragged edge of comfortable on battery life on my 6S Plus, and this is going to give me another two hours in theory— well, that should be great. I should be good to go outside of like conferences. And then I'll use the super proprietary uh, humpback if I need to. <laughs> but but I, I am all on board. I think this is all great things. Uh, not terribly unexpected outside of the battery stuff, but all good things all around. Well, the battery stuff we expected too. This is exactly what we talked about. If they use the same case for three years in a row and the system on a chip becomes more efficient, and this is before we even, like this is better than we even thought because not only does the system on a chip become more efficient from a new process, but they have the little, the low power sort of limp mode things, which is a very clever design. I'm not sure if other phones are doing that, but I think it's 
mostly unprecedented in desktop CPUs where you would have non-uniform cores. Like you have these wussy cores that are just like one third of the of the die area, but otherwise presumably fully functional. And you would use them when when you need to instead of just power cycling things or disabling cores. Anyway, well, there's, there's the whole there's the arm big dot little thing. But and I think this is just one of those implementations. But I don't I don't know of any other devices that use it in the phone or computer space. Yeah, and and it'll only get better as they, I'm assuming the A11 and so on and so forth, get better about like being able to switch between them faster and getting smarter about when to use them and all sorts of other stuff. So anyway, we get the benefit of same size case, uh, bigger battery because there's slightly more room or maybe even the same size battery, lower power system on a chip equals more battery. And I was saying like 10, 15%, you know, I can't do the math in my head, but two hours, that is, that is a, you know, if that is even remotely close to true, that is something that everybody will notice and it is... Almost exactly. I mean, Mark, are you asking for double battery life? But I think. Oh no, I, I was asking I, for four or five times more battery life. That's well, what I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, I mean, we have to, you know, again, you're gonna be carrying around a bar of soap. But yeah. if that two-hour figure is remotely close to true, I am really happy about that. As someone who doesn't have battery problems with my phone, because I feel like that is the substantial battery improvement we're talking about. Now, granted, again, they got it by using the same size case for three years, and you can probably kiss that goodbye for next year's super skinny phone. But enjoy it while you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean. This is great news if it if it works out the way they say with real world use, and it might. Apple Apple is they have you know kind of a mixed record of like adhering to their benchmarks from you know from reality. Usually, if you do the things that are in their benchmarks, usually they're actually pretty good. But the question is is more like whether real world use is well reflected by the benchmarks. Uh, in in this case, you know what we've seen for most of their most recent advances in battery life in in devices phones and laptops the vast majority of of recent advances have not really been in reducing the amount of power while you're like using it heavily it's mostly been in in reducing power used while it's pretty much idle or doing very very simple tasks and that's what this most likely is you know because of that new asymmetric core design where you have the the low power cores and the high power cores that's awesome um because of that that's going to be most likely a savings only in like idle and low power states. I bet when it's in the high power states, it's still going to kill your battery just as much as it did before, maybe even more now. Well, I, I don't know. Like, here's, here's the reason I, I have some question on that, because if the, the wimpy cores are enough to accomplish the task, for, for instance, imagine there's a task that uses a lot of GPU, but you need just enough CPU that you can use the wimpy cores, you'll still get the savings when quote-unquote working flat out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm imagining, say there's a say there's a game that you can play, and the game is, is like two years old, and you can run the whole game just using the wimpy cores, you will see a huge savings just playing that game flat out. I don't know if we're close to that point. I don't know what the threshold is, but because we've come so far, you show that graph and everything, those two quote-unquote wimpy cores are like faster than the iPhone 5 or whatever. Like I don't know what the, the actual specs on them are, but like there is some past phone that we used to think was fast that these little wimpy cores are faster than. So I feel like this one is more <laughs> like you're driving most of the time on four cylinders and only when you put your foot down do they all come on. But this is just speculation because I have no idea what the threshold is. But um, I, what, what it comes down to is I think there are an increasing number of tasks on your phone that can be handled by the weak cpus like he picked like email and maybe even web browsing is like that and you just save the big guns for when you really need it as opposed to the situation we are in like macbooks where it's like look if you're just going to be compiling software for hours everything's going to be running max and you know 
what can you do or you're playing a game desktop games just run everything at max there's no game that you're running with like the wimpy course but on phones who knows yeah i mean it, it remains to be seen also like as a developer can can you set like your process affinity to one of the like can you say run this thread only on the wimpy cores damn it i was gonna ask that same question yeah, i really i really i really doubt that i would this is ex- this is a totally the kind of thing that apple is going to want to have complete control over because they're going to, you know, they're going to tweak it. They're going to be like, well, the first version, we had this very simple algorithm, which isn't that great. And the second version, the, the, in the A11, we can change states like a hundred times faster. And we're much smarter about doing it based on data. Like you got to give them time to, to ramp up on this. I can't imagine them giving like, you know, core affinity attributes, uh, that type of low level thing. It just doesn't seem like something they would do. Yeah. Well, also like, can you use all four cores at once? Or like, do when the high power one is on, does it deactivate that low power one? That well, I think monster. you can use all four because I'm thinking of those Geekbench scores, and I bet like the reason you get the multi-thread boost is I think you can use all four at once. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. But yeah, this that that is very you know just as a programmer that is very interesting to me to have to have this kind of architecture and you know it, it, even if I can't manually direct it or or hint it to do things the way I think they should be done. Um, it will still be cool to try to target things to those low power cores. You'd be like, all right, let me try it. You know, it's it's kind of like the people who like back before the uh, Prius had a plug-in variant, when they would like try to get their Prius to stay on only electric mode for like as long as possible in their daily driving. You know, it's like I feel like as a developer, like how how can I write this this queue or this thread or this entire app to try to stay on the low power core the entire time or as long as possible there'll be a wwdc session with some you know ios instruments demo showing you that like as we can see here in the graph this big jump that's when it goes up to the bigger core so if you can keep it down below them yeah exactly so yeah that that's going to be cool i'm looking forward to this i i do i'm a little i'm kind of like wait and see skeptical on the battery claim simply because it sure does sound like they just improved idle power without really addressing like usage power but uh we'll see so all in all what would you say since uh i haven't heard anything about ratings and uh certainly i know that john loves to give numerical ratings uh what would you say uh about the presentation today i i thought it was really good i can't say off the top of my head i can't say i was really disappointed in anything i'm not in love with the synthetic bokeh but i still think it's a move in the right direction ish um i I was really pleased with this and and i think they did a really great job marco yeah overall pretty good event pretty good uh pretty good presentation uh pretty good quality overall um and the products they announced seem like you know nothing was incredibly surprising except maybe the the replacing of the watch one cpu with the watch two cpu that was pretty cool um you know other than that like nothing was like an amazing surprise necessarily uh but overall solid up solid updates to the watch and the phone i i do obviously uh very much miss the mac as a thing that was updated and talked about ever uh but hopefully that will be resolved soon i I really hope so and otherwise though for, for what was announced today pretty solid updates and uh i'm I'm looking forward to getting my hands on the new phone well getting both hands around my new phone that's for sure <laughs> one won't be enough john yeah I, I miss the days when i didn't know things like it was kind of disappointing that we knew almost everything here but uh i was excited by the things that i saw almost all of the things they were doing uh well there was there was no surprises except pleasant ones. Let's put it that way. Because all the things that were potentially disappointing, we knew about. And the pleasant surprise, we didn't talk about the storage tiers, but like, you know, we knew about all that ahead of time. We knew the, you know, 
basically knew the the 32-128-256 thing or whatever, but the things we didn't know about were pleasant. We didn't know about the, the Series 1 getting the new CPU, and we didn't know about the 6S and the 6S Plus uh, getting rid of the 16s, which is a pleasant surprise and yeah. not typical of Tim Cook's Apple, and needless to say, absolutely the right thing to do, but 16 is ridiculous. Um, it would be better if the current line was 64-128-256, but beggars can't be choosers. This is positive progress, so... I mean, when I came out of the event, I was excited to try the products they showed. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see my wife's inevitable new watch and see her play Pokemon Go on it and <laughs> the GPS features. I'm excited to check out the new phones and see what the new surface is like and, and the grips and stuff like that. I'm excited that the new phone is faster and that the camera is better. And, you know, we knew there was going to be no Max for the most part. I still, I still believe that they will be updated this year. Uh, and I'll be probably more excited about that event than this thing. But overall, I was satisfied with the presentation and happy with it and thought it was done well. I even kind of like the weird musical act at the end. <laughs> Sia is very good, actually. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much to our three sponsors this week, Hover, Tracker, and Betterment. And we will see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S So that's Casey Liss M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T Marco Arment S-I-R-A-C U-S-A Syracuse It's accidental I can't oh believe God. this is so long. I know. It's so hot in this room. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I decided I'm about to go to Portland for the last XOXO, and I decided a few days ago, you know, in advance of ordering the new iPhone, you know, in about 24 hours now, I think, <laughs> right? Or, oh, God, yes. <laughs> so in advance of that, I decided, let me switch back to my Plus that I had for a few days and take it on the beginning of this trip. And that'll kind of help me, like, give me, like, one final thing, like, do I want to go Plus? Because I really want the features and the battery of the Plus. I want the I want that camera. I want the big battery. And when I'm actually using the Plus to do things, I do love having that big screen. Uh, that I love having the extra screen space. I love seeing, like, Instagram photos bigger. I love seeing any photos bigger, seeing my own photos, you know, taking camera photos and processing and everything. Just extra space on web pages, et cetera. So I thought, all right, let me move back to the Plus for a few days as one final sanity check to see if I can really like, you know, live with it as as a size. My Plus is 64 gigs. My 6S that I've been living on is 128. And I use iCloud Photo Library. Can you see where this is going? <laughs> so, oh, God. <laughs> so to 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 transfer your your current backup from a 128 gig device to a 64 gig device when you're using iCloud Photo Library. So 
problem number one, you know, I tried, I, I had forgotten about the size difference. Tried, and of course it says, oh, sorry, we can't restore this back up to this phone because there's not enough space. Okay. So I go, I go to my, to my success. Okay. How do I, how do I clear space from this device? Now, I've heard over the years that Apple's slowly getting better at this process. Um, there's still some way to go, I would say. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> problem number one, when you're using iCloud Photo Library, it smartly manages your storage, which means that unless the phone is incredibly low on space, it never deletes anything. However, it also doesn't give you a way to delete anything without actually deleting it from your iCloud Photo Library. So like deleting it everywhere. Uh, you can't. So normally... All the pictures and video that you take on the phone, even after they get upda- up- uploaded to iCloud Photo Library, as far as I can tell, they don't leave the phone. Like, they don't get deleted off the phone, even when it's safe to. The old way to do this was to import your photos into a photo app on your computer and then use the photo app or use image capture to open up the phone as if it were a camera and delete all the photos off the phone that way. Because there's nowhere in the system settings on the phone anywhere where you can delete photos out of your photo library. They're like, that's just not a thing. Uh, so as far as I can tell, I looked all over the place and couldn't find any. And in retrospect, that's probably a good thing that isn't a thing because people would do it accidentally. Anyway, but even with iCloud Photo Library, you can't say, all right, there's no button that says, please free up as much space as you safely can. Anything that's in, that's in iCloud, please delete it off my phone right now. There's no button to do that anywhere. So I like remove all the music. I remove all the podcasts I'm not listening to. I remove some big games I never play because who cares? I remove GarageBand, all these things. Eventually, the only thing I can do is I have to get rid of this giant block of photos because everything else is not making enough space. To do this, I had to sign. I had to disable iCloud Photo Library, which is kind of a scary thing to do. Even though I like, I here I am like on my computer. I have all these. I have it like in Photos app right there, so I know I'm not losing anything, and I and that's all backed up. Even if iCloud gets all crazy, I have that like I have a Mac backup like through Backblaze, through Time Machine, through SuperDuper. Okay, so I know I'm safe. Still a crazy thing to do from your phone, like to disable that, and then mm-hmm. because image capture won't let you delete photos off the phone if iCloud Photo Library is enabled. So <laughs> the the thing I had to do, and I'm not sure if, if I could have done anything better. What I had to do was disable iCloud Photo Library on the phone, open up Image Capture on my Mac, have it select all and delete all like 16,000 or whatever, it was was something like that, photos that were on the phone, many of which I didn't even shoot on the phone, were just copied there for photo library purposes, uh, like, you know, through sync. (laughs) Delete everything that way, then back that up, restore that to to the 64 gig phone, and then re-enable iCloud Photo Library on the on the phone. Then, Aye. like all it, this was to, to avoid iCloud backup, I guess, because that's the other alternative. Obviously, if you don't have the sizes, you you were trying to do like an iTunes backup and yeah. transfer. What if you just said, "I'm just going to use iCloud backup for everything"? I suppose that probably yeah, because that I assume that would work. It would, but it has other pain is that you're waiting for the apps to download and waiting for your yeah. data to come back. And then I and then I get none of my keychain items, so I have to re-enter all my passwords everywhere, and that sucks. That's true. Like that. That's like true. I like I'd rather have a brief, severe sucking of something <laughs> than have like than have <laughs> like a, a three days of annoyance as I have to re-enter all the passwords into everything. Anyway, yeah. So this phone is ridiculous. This is so big, but I am kind of living with it right now, and I really want that that good camera set up. And, and I'm sorry, you said that's a six plus or six S plus. It's a six plus, which is interesting. You know, going back to you know, I mean, three D touch, I don't, I don't miss. Cause I, I hardly ever use it for anything. I, I occasionally will use it for cursor movement within a text block, but usually nothing else. Um, 
I do miss the faster touch ID sensor quite a bit. That is a big thing I notice. And the 6 Plus before the 6S Plus also was, it was the first Plus phone and it kind of didn't have enough RAM and the GPU was kind of not powerful enough. So like there's like animations a little bit sluggish sometimes and like just like certain things are like a little bit ooh, you know, but for the most part, it's fine. I I, I kind of, it kind of makes me think like, wow, buying a new phone every year is kind of wasteful because this this two year old one is fine for the most part like it's totally fine it's not it's not great it's not fast by my success standards but it's good enough for most of what i'm doing with it touch id is slower and that sucks but i'm living with it it's fine uh but yeah i think even though in so many ways it is worse in so many ways it's harder to hold um i still don't like the way springboard rotates I still hate the way that apps like Mail and Messages get like the, the the half iPad view in landscape mode. And as a result of hating the way it does landscape in every possible way, I usually have to keep the Plus phone in rotation lock mode, which is great until I want to look at a photo. So like it's, it's a little bit annoying in those ways, but I really do love having the additional screen space. I love typing on it. I'm way more accurate with the text input on it. Uh, just because it's a bigger keyboard, fits my thumbs better, I guess. Uh, so, I guess uh, I guess I'm gonna go plus, but I'll I'll decide again in 24 hours when we have to order them. Oh my god! Well, it's a little over because it's three in the morning. <sighs> I'll be in Pacific time though. I'll be at XOXO. Oh, so I'll be exhausted, but I'll be awake. You jerk. 